And we are on air for Fanfare Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview of Martinsville. Uh, short track racing on the docket for tonight, and uh, we'll talk all about it uh, throughout our show. Uh, joining me shortly will be our co-host, Jay Huseman. Uh, but for right now, I just want to let everybody know what our plan is for tonight. First, we're going to offer some updates from the Arkham Menard Series uh, at 8. 40 tonight, our guest is Regina Cervantes with Rev Racing, and we'll talk to her about an upcoming race at Hickory Motor Speedway, and uh, also we will be talking to her about racing at Rev Racing in the NASCAR Drive for Diversity program. At the top of the hour, we're going to get into the uh, SRL race that's taking place this weekend. We'll talk all about that. Uh, then we'll get into the truck series race uh, that's not happening this weekend. We'll provide a few updates in that regard. And then at uh, 9.30, we'll talk about the upcoming races at Martinsville, the Xfinity and the Cup Series races uh, at Martinsville Speedway this weekend. Now, tonight, there's a wheel and modified race uh, that's taking place. So uh, we're definitely looking forward to that. Um, I'm not sure where Jay is. He's normally here by now, so I'm going to try and see if I can't figure out what's going on there. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, I hope you can all hear me uh, on the show here now. Uh, let me. I'm sorry for the distraction as we uh, take a look at what's going on here. Okay, now then, uh, for tonight's show, uh, again, at 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and the Hot Topic Sound Off uh, will include uh, Jay Huseman. Uh, We think Andy might be able to join in uh, before we uh, end our hot topics, uh, not 100% sure, but Tommy Kraft will be here tonight as well. Joining me now is our co-host for tonight, and that is Jay Long Huseman. Long are getting ready. Jay, are we you are here? getting ready for our interview with John Hunter Nemechek with Nemco Motorsports, oh, and dear. he should be here very shortly. I am so sorry. Uh, my computer is so glitchy tonight. I'm going to kind of hand this off to Jay Houston right now so that uh, Jay can kind of check, give you the ARCA updates while I restart my system here and get started all over again. So, Jay, I'm going to leave it to you. Uh, okay, I was making sure I was on there. I heard that, heard that uh, interview come up, and I was like, I wasn't sure I was connected. My phone not being cooperative either, but... <laughs> Well, it sounds my like mine is hooked. Yeah, Go that's ahead. what I it just tried to play, play an interview there uh, as you introduced me. So I was like, I wasn't sure if it was it was on my end or not. But uh, I will go through the Arkham Menard series here uh, with their schedule and points as you try to uh, reset your computer if that's what you need to do. Okay. And Regina Jay is coming on at 840, so I will keep an eye out for her as well. Yeah, because I can't move that. Uh, I can take care of that. All right. So we'll start with the Arca Menard series here. 
their next race is going to be April 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, uh, Talladega Super Speedway. Take a look at their point standings here as I bring that up. Okay, it didn't give me their points. Where is their point standings? It should be at the top, Jay, at the, uh, in the bar. There we go. Try that way. Yeah. Why don't we just info. tell them what the dates are for the next races at this point and not get into the point standings okay. uh, because Regina's okay. going to be on in just a few minutes. Okay. Uh, so April 24th, 1 Eastern, noon Central for the main ARCA Menard Series. Next up here for the ARCA West is the one I'm trying to pull up now. Actually, you can go to the bottom of the main page, and it will give you all of them in one place. Oh, oh shoot. And then I closed it. Hang on one second. Let me pull that back up. Okay, let me, let me see if I can pull it up. Where are you looking at at the bottom of uh At the bottom page? of the main page. Okay, here page. we go. Yep, upcoming events. Okay, I see it now that... Arkham Menards East Series. That'll be the Music City 200 as they return to the Nashville Fairgrounds. That'll be on May 8th uh, at 8 p.m. Central. So 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. The Arkham Menards West. We've got to wait a little bit for them. The General Tire 200 will be on June 5th. And that'll be 2 p.m. Pacific time at Sonoma Raceway. And then the Sioux Chief Showdown. Talked about that, a mixture of the uh, all three of them are able to participate in that. That'll be May 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, taking place at Toledo Speedway. That'll be the HERS Potato Chips 200, and I believe that is the first of them. Now, going back for the Arkham Menard Series, the General Tire 200 on April 24th, that'll be on FS1. The Arkham Menards East Music City 200 at Nashville. That'll be on Track Pass. Also on Track Pass will be the West Series and General Tire 200 from Sonoma. And then the Toledo Speedway's Street Chief Showdown. That'll be covered on MAV TV. So, again, you can always go to the Arkham Menards Home Series. Uh, they have a section there where you can log in there. If you don't have Track Pass, get signed up for that. If your cable company carries MAV TV, uh, you find all kinds of good racing on there, I'll tell you that. <laughs> all right. I don't know if, Sharon, you were able to get reset there or not. Not yet. Hang in there. <laughs> okay. Well, whenever uh, our guest comes on, if you just uh, let me know, I can uh, try and cover at least maybe the top of the points here for each series until she gets here. You know, we got another young female driver in the NASCAR Drive for Diversity program, so another great guest coming on here tonight. Sharon will introduce here in just a moment. She should be coming up in a couple of minutes. Looking at the Arca Menard series, two races in, two drivers each have a win. Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim each have one. Corey Heim has a two-point advantage. Uh, they are similar across their stat lines with that. One win, two top fives, two top tens. Third place is Drew Dollar. He's got 
one top five and two top tens is nine points back. Kyle Sieg in fourth, 12 points back, two top fives, two top tens. And you got Thad Moffat as your top, your fifth place right now, 26 points back. You got one top five and the one top ten. Still got another minute here. I'll try and get into the west and run through those real Actually, I'm going to do the east since they're the next ones that are racing. I know the West Series, we've got a little bit more time here before they run again in June. So the Arkham Menards East Series standings, they also have two races in. Sammy Smith with one win, two top fives, two top tens, is your point leader. Max Gutierrez, the other one with the win, one top five, two top tens, is nine points back, but he's in third place. In between them, Taylor Gray, two win, or two races, Two top fives, two top tens is eight points back. There is an issue there. We'll probably touch on hot topics. He is injured. I do not know for how long he is going to be out. I know for the truck race or, uh, coming up that he has been pulled, uh, that team withdrew. So we'll get more information on that here a little bit later in hot topics. Fourth place is Max Gutierrez. I'm sorry, Mason Diaz is in fourth at 10 points back, two top fives, two top tens. And Joey East, uh, two top fives, two top tens, as well as 15 points back. And then there's a bunch, 19 points back, 19, 20 back. Some of the guests we've had on, Daniel Guy, Parker Retzlaff, uh, and Rajah Karuth as well has also been on the show in eighth. And they're all 20 points back is the biggest gap back there. So, again, that's only after two races. Arkham and RG seriously tight there at the top of the points. Do we have our guest on yet, Sharon? I'm trying to get to it, Jay. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm okay. just having no, all kinds you, of I trouble here. I know you're working here. with your computer system there. Um, I'll go ahead and while she's still trying to get that all sorted out there, the West Series only had one race, and it was a combination uh, event there with the Arkham Menard Series, so still haven't fully sorted that out, but it's one race. The winner of the race, Ty Gibbs, is your points leader. Corey Heim, six points back. Thad Moffitt, back seven. Kyle Sieg, nine back. Derek Krause, ten back. Uh, Jesse Love is going to be your first full-time regular, I believe, on the West Series is at minus 11. Drew Dollar's in there at minus 11 points. Todd Souza at minus 13. Taylor Gray at minus 13. And Trevor Huddleston at minus 15. That's your top ten. But keep in mind, once the West starts running separate races, We'll see that sort itself out here uh, amongst the rest regulars. And there, Taylor Gray in ninth at minus 13. believe he should be back in plenty of time for that race. Again, that one, next one for them doesn't come up until June 5th. Okay, I'm not seeing that call come up yet, Jay. So uh, go ahead and go through the points, and hopefully we'll hear from her soon. I'll see if I can find out what's going on there. Okay, I believe I hit all three of the points there. We haven't run our first Sioux Chiefs showdown yet. I was going to try and bring up what I had. I don't know if I can do if Jayski had it up. Um, reference Taylor Gray being injured. I know it was on Twitter. I might have to go to Twitter to find it. And I'm not seeing it on Jayski. So we'll see what we can find here on Twitter real quick. 
You know, I saw several of them yeah. today from Bob Proctor as well as others here. What are you looking for, Jay? Uh, see if I, uh, I was going to give the story an update on Taylor Gray. Yeah, it says that he's going to uh, have a full recovery, uh, but he's not going to be able to race uh, at least the next couple of races. His third lumbar or fourth lumbar uh, surgery on his back and some other things going on. So, And yep. I think he has uh, a second broke, surgery coming up. Broke, broken left foot and ankle as well. Again, the good news is a full recovery. Um, the DGR has withdrawn the number 17 truck, which was supposed to be at his debut at Richmond. Uh, so, again, they don't mm-hmm. give a time frame, but should be back for the ARCA series there. Uh, I, I'm not a doctor, so I can't even begin to estimate on that. Uh, just thankful that, again, he is okay and is expected to make the full recovery. Right. I guess it was a single-car accident, so... Um, that's kind of oh, um, good news in some sense as well. Yeah, I was going to say there, yeah, uh, single car in Statesville, uh, North Carolina, I believe. Okay. Got situated there now? I'm trying. I still don't see Regina <laughs> online here. I don't know if she's having okay. trouble uh, calling in. Did you have any trouble calling in, Jay? I did, but I believe that was on my end, on my phone, because it was uh, telling me I didn't have service. So I think that was on my end. Oh, okay. If so, you want, I know we're into the the next 15 minutes here. Oops. I can start on the SRL if you wanted to, if you were trying to reach out yeah, to the Yeah, why don't you go PR. ahead and start on the SRL, and we'll okay. see if we can't get that. that. Coming up here, we got an immediate release from the Spears SRL Southwest Tour Series. I know uh, Sal brought one of them, has talked about that. Uh, the one we were able to cover, I know Sal has missed that show, but they're uh, what is it? The Spears Manufacturing 100 presented by Ernest Performance is the third of 10 events on the Spears SRL Southwest Tour Series for 2021. And it will take place this weekend, April 10th, at Irwindale Speedway. Uh, round number three here will pay 5000 to the winner thanks to the winner's bonus from Ernest Performance. And it will be the second of three events at the Irwindale Speedway Half Mile Oval after opening the season with the Sunrise Ford All-Star Showdown 200. The final of those events will take place on July 17th. A couple of things here to hit. It's another big field as we have 30 super late models currently entered for this weekend's action. And the first two events of the season saw an average count car count of 35 and a half. <laughs> Keeping in mind it's an average. We didn't have half a car out there. At least not to start the race. (laughs) Uh, Fans, this is good news. It says for the first time since COVID-19 hit, fans will be allowed at Irwindale Speedway. It does not have on here. You'd have to go to the Irwindale Speedway homepage to find out the limited capacity, I'm sure, uh, that they're doing. But they at least are allowing some fans in. And we got four drivers that will be making their 2021 season debut in the Spears SRL Southwest Tour. 
Those include Mark Neff, Sean Woodside, Trevor, Trevor Huddleston, and Ross Miska. Uh, Sean Woodside will make a series debut after scoring two victories in the NASCAR Southwest Tour. And that leaves us with 23 series regulars that have been attended the first two events of the season. 21 of those drivers are on the entry list for this weekend's Spears Manufacturing 100 presented by Ernest Performance. When we take a look at the top 10, Preston Peltier leads the current championship standings with 340 points. He's followed by Buddy Shepard. We talked a lot about him. Jacob, Jacob Gomes, Kale Kanke, Jace Hansen, Christian McGee, Derek Thorne, Cole Raz, Kyle Navu, and Dylan Lupton. So a couple of names there we know. Now the eight rookies that are entered into this weekend is, weekend's event. They include Bruce Bazanson, Cole Raz, Buddy Shepard, Brandon Farrington, Mark Neff will be listed as a rookie, Corey Neveu as well, Austin Tom, and Dylan Garner. Uh, the current Rookie of the Year standings finds Buddy Shepard leading Cole Raz, Brandon Farrington, Corey Neveu, and Dylan Garner. We talked a little bit about that all-star showdown. That was won by Preston Peltier for $30,000. He was followed by Casey Roderick, Jace Hansen, Buddy Shepard, and Jacob Gomes. There's Pelter's second season opening victory at Irwindale, which accounts for both of his series wins. Talk a little bit just about Irwindale Speedway. This will be the 19th SRL event held at Irwindale Speedway. Derek Thorne has five SRL victories at the facility to lead all drivers. Overall, M.K. Kanke has three SRL victories and three NASCAR Southwest Tour Series wins for a total of six overall. And when we look at the SRL S2 Series Dominator, the Spears SRL Southwest Tour Series rookie Dylan Garner has three of the SRL S2 Series victories at Irwindale Speedway. I'll give you some information if you want to try and catch that race, the live stream all 2021 Spears Southwest Tour Series, the Spears Manufacturing Modified Series, and the Spears Pro Late Model Series races are live streamed at www.spearsracing.tv. Tommy Mason and Jeffrey Best with the Low Budget TV, LBTV, will cover the action from Irwindale. Now, in all 2021 races for the Spears Southwest Tour Series, Spears Manufacturing Modified Series and the Pro Late Model Series will also be carried on MAV-TV on a delayed basis. The broadcast times will be announced at a later date. And that pretty much covers there. And go into some of the other oh, free entries if we need to. I'm not, no? yeah, okay. you might do that. I, I don't know what happened to Regina. I know so that sometimes uh, things come up unexpectedly, and uh, that sometimes prevents people from coming on the show. Even though we planned in advance for her her visit, uh, something must have come up. So uh, when we get ready to go into our NASCAR preview, we can probably go to our 20-minute format, Jay. Okay. 
All right. And uh, if she does happen to call in, otherwise we can uh, adjust that back down as well. So. Correct. Correct. Okay. All right. For for the pre-entry for the uh, SRL Southwest tours here, mentioned Dylan Epson. I'm sorry. Uh, Bryce Bizanson, Tracy Bolin in the 11B, not one I talked about yet. Oh, Jay, I Dillon. believe she's here now. Yes. Okay. Okay, so, so I'm going to bring her into the queue. Over that, then. Okay. Uh, we'll, we, we'll have a little bit of an interview here with uh, Regina Servant uh, with Rev Racing and the NASCAR Drive for Diversity program. Regina, we're so happy you were able to be on the show tonight. Uh, I know you're part of the NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Touring Series, and you've got a race coming up at Hickory uh, sometime soon here. Hi. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to you. Sorry for the delay. I thought uh, that I was going to receive the call. But, well, anyways, yes, I'm very excited. Oh. This is our second race with the team. Um it will be Hickory. We raced two weeks ago there. We finished fifth. So hopefully it will be a very good race. Okay. Now, fifth place finish is a really good finish. Uh, was there anything you learned? Uh, is that a track that you race at frequently, or was that a new track for you? Well, uh, this is my first year racing uh, late models. Uh, I don't know yet any track, but um, Charlotte Motor Speedway, the fourth mile, because I raced Legends last year, and Hickory is the only track that I know so far, so uh, it could be my home track, it would be. <laughs> okay, so you'll get to know Hickory very well. Just into perspective, uh, Regina is actually... Uh, from Mexico and has been a big part of the uh, peak uh, racing series down there, but also you've raced trucks in Mexico as well. So this is your first year racing with Rev Racing. So was there anything that you learned at Hickory uh, with your fifth place finish that you'll take with you in this next race? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yes, I I raced in the trucks of Mexico, and they are very different uh, compared to 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 the late model. Uh, what I learned the most is um, how to, uh, like to be a little bit more aggressive in the track, and also like the new tires. Well, the tires are slicks in Mexico we use semi slicks so they are a little bit different and I definitely think that um that last race it was a little hard for me to get used to the to the tires but now that I that I know them I know how they work and I'm sure that we will have a better a better uh, performance with those new tires okay so you've got one under your belt and more to look forward to for this season. Now, Regina, joining us is our co-host for tonight, Jay Huseman, and I know he has a few questions for you as well. Perfect. Jay? Okay, perfect. Thank you. Okay, I don't know what happened. Oh, wait a second. From you. Jay? Jay, uh, we didn't hear oh, that, so go ahead and 
start over again. Okay. Um, with the, uh, we've had, I uh, want to say thank you to Rev Racing. Uh, they've been great with it, with bringing us some guests to have on the past several weeks. So my question tonight for you, uh, coming from Mexico, and I think back to when Daniel Suarez come to the States, coming to some of these tracks that I'm sure as a, as a race fan you've heard of, beginning to race at some of the historic racetracks, such as you mentioned Hickory, uh, Hickory Speedway, but some of the more historic short track grassroots tracks that you get to go to. Well, I I don't know uh, all the schedule for this year, but I think that we will be visiting South Boston, um, Tri County. So definitely, so I think that uh, we are going to learn a lot uh, on those short tracks. Um, in Hickory, you see like all the drivers that have won, like important drivers and very famous drivers. And of course, I hope that one day I can be in that board. Well, that that kind of leads into my second question with that. Uh, again, and I, and I can only imagine, though, of you grow up watching some of your favorite drivers getting to race with that next generation of them. And you mentioned South Boston. I know the Burtons still run there. So to be able to race against the, the next generation of up-and-coming drivers, a fan of ones that you grew up as fan of, yeah, and it will, and I'm very excited because I have always seen that racing with drivers that have more experience will get me to that point to have uh, the same experience that they have. So I think that going to South Boston and all those tracks with those, um, well, with drivers that are very, very good will make me improve uh, my performance and my driving one way or or another if I want to be running up there. With, it, with that, my, my last question is a follow-up to that. When, when you have a driver, and I know Kyle Busch even comes down and runs some of the, uh, the late model races, uh, if you get the chance to talk to them in a garage, how helpful they are, but even just of, if you're following them on the track of being behind them and watching, what, what do you pick up by that of just racing around them like you said? I think that um, rolling speed uh, on the center of the, of the of the corner is one of the most important things. And to probably, if I see Kyle Busch racing, I will definitely, uh, in the practice, uh, go out and see where he's braking, where he's picking up the throttle, and try to 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 get that confidence to go to the throttle in the same point that he's doing. Uh, also, like talking about uh, important drivers and very good drivers, Josh Berry, uh, last year I saw him race so many races in Hickory, and his line was impressive. Mm, I have some videos, and I have been watching them trying to, to, to copy that line for, for the next races. Well, that's great. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, I know, Sharon, you mentioned uh, coming off already a fifth place uh continue that momentum and going back to the same track uh, should do well for you. So good luck. And I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon. Thank you. Okay. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Okay, Regina, I see that you're also going to be racing in the 2021 summer shootout at Charlotte Motor Speedway this year. So how are you preparing for that? Um, for the summer shootout, um, I have been racing in the, in iRacing. It has 
the legend car and the fourth in the and the fourth mile of Charles Moore Speedway. So I have been racing in the simulator that track. Also, I have been well. We haven't prepared a lot for the summer. We are more uh, right now preparing like the cars for for the late model uh, racing. But when in May we are going to start probably testing some some laps in the in the legend car. Um, the summer should out start uh, on June, so so it it will be a process. Mark Green is our coach driver development, and he he he's very good. He has uh, won a lot of races in the master class, so obviously having him there will be an important factor because he knows all the tricks in that in that in that oval. Absolutely. Mark Green will be a great uh, coach for you uh, in that regard. Now, also, uh, you, you became a part of NASCAR's Driver Diversity Program, and it's actually your second season uh, with Rev Racing. So uh, this year you've kind of progressed to the NASCAR Weekly Touring Series, uh, and uh, you're going to be competing for Rookie of the Year uh, in that series. Talk a little bit about what the program means to you, so and coming into the states now to to race. Well, for me, the program is a great opportunity, uh, and and for me is I th- I think that is very good that they have these programs where like girls. Latin people, African Americans, and everyone can can have an, an an opportunity to get into the NASCAR world. And I also think that it it is a great program because it shows that that nothing is impossible, that you can make it to the big leagues, and that like if you take out the fear and all those limits, you will achieve good and great things. And I also think that the uh, diversity program is very good because it can uh, bring more fans from all all around the world. So I think that's a great uh, opportunity for everyone, and 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 it shows like the family. Like I have always said that racing is about family environment, and with the program we can see that. Oh, I I couldn't agree with you more, Regina. And I I really like the point that you make uh, that it brings new fans into the NASCAR uh, racing world, if you will, uh, because of people like you that are coming from Mexico and becoming a part of that program. I think it's awesome. Uh, And and how difficult is it for you to make that transition from the Mexico uh, racing series to uh, Rev Racing and the Drive for Diversity program? Well, it has been a little hard, especially for the language. Uh, I do speak English, but but sometimes I don't know some words. Right now what I'm trying to do is being in the shop almost, well, every, like, Monday through to, to Friday, and I am there uh, learning all the parts that, of the car in English, because in Mexico, I like I know English from school, but they don't show you like this is a stack or this is this and you know from the car. So it's 
So I have been trying to go to the shop every day to, to learn all those par- uh, parts of the car so I can communicate better with my team. But I also have feel very welcome with all the crew because I think that they understand that the every like the that I'm doing this transition and they help me with everything. Like sometimes I make like try try to explain them with drawings or or like with my hands and they take the time to see what I meant and they explain me how to communicate it better. So I I I'm very thankful with all the crew too. And also with my teammates that if I have questions, I always ask them, like, how could I do this and that? So definitely I would say that the most uh, difficult part for me has been, like, uh, the communication part. But I think I'm improving a lot in that, too. I would agree with you again. Uh, I think that you are doing a great job with your English. Uh, I know that you speak much better English than I do Spanish, so... Uh, I give you a lot of credit for for, for what you're doing, and uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do in the series uh, this season, and we hope that you'll come back and visit with us again uh, as the season progresses. Well, thank you for receiving me. It was a pleasure to talk to you, and I have uh, a lot of fun talking about the program, talking about my uh, my, well, my what I'm doing right now with Red Racing. And thank you for taking the time. It was a pleasure. Oh, it was a pleasure for us as well, Regina. Good luck at uh, Hickory, and uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. Uh, perfect. Thank you. And yeah, we need to talk to to uh, to talk soon, and hopefully with a better result. Okay, sounds like a good plan to me. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> okay, thank you, Regina. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Bye. All right. Thank you. And and. You're welcome. All right, that is Regina Cervantes, and she is with uh, Rev Racing and NASCAR's Drive for Diversity program. And uh, what a pleasure talking with her, Jay. Uh, she's got a lot of energy and and uh, very vivacious, I think. I, I can't believe, again, uh, of comprehending uh, that kind of change. Uh, she mentioned there of knowing English, but when it comes to the car, I mean, we we talk about it, and I go back to the movie Days of Thunder. Even figuring out race language between you and your crew chief and your crew is one thing, <laughs> but to be able to put it from a different language then into it as well, and the fact that she puts a focus on that, going to the shop just for that, uh, and then talking about learning from other drivers. She mentioned Josh Berry, a great one to have been able to race with, as he's now an Xfinity Series driver, to, to follow and learn from, uh, not just all of your bigger stars. I mentioned Kyle Busch that I know does some races, but seeing the ones that you know are advancing or, you know, above you and, and accepting that challenge. I know we talk about that in those series, accepting that challenge and wanting that to race against them because that's your measuring stick. Exactly. So it's it's really cool. And the fact that she, you know, if if she can't put it into words, she's able to draw pictures and they can figure out, they take the time to figure out what it is 
that she's talking about and, and everything. I think it's fantastic. Well, and I will say that uh, when I was in the military and going to other countries, yeah, you find a way to communicate, uh, whether it be, yeah, she mentioned drawing pictures or, or whatever it be, you find a way to communicate, and I've used the same statement you did there. Uh, you know, her English is much better than my Spanish or whatever country I'm in. So, you know, they're always, they always feel that like an embarrassment. I'm like, trust me, I would not be able to reciprocate that and, and speak anything in your language but one or two words here and there. Exactly. So uh, I think uh, I think Regina does a, a really fine job uh, with her, her language. Um, so with that, Jay, uh, let's go ahead and get into our truck series uh, updates. Uh, just to let you know, the truck series is not racing this weekend, uh, but they will be racing at Richmond Raceway on Saturday, April the 17th in the Toyota Care 250, and uh, we'll definitely look forward to uh, telling you more about that when that race comes up. Uh, but we also want to give you a few updates uh uh, and let's take a look at the Rookie of the Year uh, competition that's going on there. Jay has to call back in, so we're going to wait for him to call back in. And in the meantime, uh, I guess I will give you the update here on the Rookie of the Year. Uh, right now, Josefar maintains the Sonoco Rookie of the Year lead uh, after taking a one-point lead in the uh, yearly standings after Atlanta, Josefar finished 21st on the Bristol Dirt uh, to up his advantage to 14 points over Chandler Smith coming out of Thunder Valley. So Smith uh, finished 34th after being caught up in a multi-truck incident. So the remainder of the standings pretty much stayed the same after Bristol. Uh, Chase Purdy was the highest finishing rookie at Bristol. He finished 18th. Haley Deegan was 19th. Josevar and Smith both raced in the Truck Series race at Richmond last year. Uh, and in that race, Smith finished 12th and Josevar finished 22nd. So right now you have Carson Josevar at 109 uh, points. Uh, Chandler Smith at 95, then Chase Purdy at 71, followed by Haley Deegan. Uh, so there's a close contest there, uh, followed by Chris Wright. So uh, that is pretty much the uh, update there. Let me see if I've got Jay back. I'm going to bring Jay back into the queue. Okay, this must Jay, be the time of night my to... phone just likes to take a nap. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so. Yeah, if you can go ahead and get into the next section here, that would be great. All right, then you kind of hit on it there. They're preparing for round two in the return to Richmond as the Camping World Truck Series will be sitting out Martinsville spring weekend, but getting ready for the Toyota Care 250 April 17th at Richmond. They first ran at Richmond back from 1995 to 2005, but then took a hiatus from the track until returning in 2020. Grant Infinger won that return trip, which was the final race of the regular season for the series last year. His Thor Sport Racing teammate, Matt Crafton, and Ben Rhodes finished second and third, respectively, in that race, with Brett Moffitt and Tyler Ankrum rounding out the top five. Now, this year, Richmond is the sixth race of the season for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Uh, in 2020, the sixth race of the season last year was at Pocono, 
That was run by Brandon Jones in the earlier mentioned number 51 truck for Kyle Busch Motorsports. So the group that's running here at Richmond don't have a whole lot of experience uh, on this track, but that also makes it that much more exciting. Yes, indeed. Uh, Now, uh, let me go up here to the next section. I tell you what, Jay, we're having one of those nights. If it it can go wrong, it will go wrong. So uh, apologies to everybody tonight uh, as you're tuning in. I know it sounds like we're a little discombobulated, and in a lot of respects we are because we've got a lot of different challenges uh, that we're dealing with here. So please bear with us. Uh, Okay, moving on here. Kyle Busch Motorsports number 51 actually gets their 51st victory for the second week in a row the number 51 at Kyle Busch Motorsports uh, visited Victory Lane, and the win marked the 51st for that truck number. Then the victory came in a very unusual fashion without the team's namesake behind the wheel. It was Martin Truex Jr. uh, making his first Camping World Truck Series start since 2006 and only the third of his career. Nearly two weeks ago at Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt, uh, it was a way to get some time in on the dirt track before the Cup Series race, and he made the most of the outing by winning the race in a very dominant fashion. Now, the week before that, it was Kyle Busch winning at Atlanta Motor Speedway for the 50th victory in the number 50. Busch has recorded 40 of those 51, um, 40 of those 51 victories. Excuse me. My screen just scrolled up for no reason. Okay. Um, including the first win on May 19th in 2006 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. In fact, he won the first 13 races in the 51 truck. So a total of eight different drivers have won in that truck. Uh, Eric Jones is second on the list in wins with four. The first for him coming at Phoenix in November of 2013. He then posted three wins in the truck in 2014 in Iowa, Las Vegas, and at Phoenix. Eric Almarola recorded wins number 14 and 15 in the 51 at Dover in Michigan in 2010. And Denny Hamlin then won at Martinsville in 2012. Daniel Suarez won at Phoenix in 2016 for the only victory for that truck number that year. Greg Biffle won in the number 51 at Texas in 2019, while Brandon Jones won at Pocono just last year. Since the number was first run in the series in 2006, there have only been three seasons in which the truck has not posted multiple wins. That was in 2006, 12, and 16. The nine wins by the 51 were in 2014 were the most in a year for any truck in the truck series. So uh, pretty cool stats there for the number 51 in the Camping World Truck Series, Jay. Well, I'll tell you what, if we'd have been playing a trivia game, I would have gotten that one wrong. I was not aware Eric Almarola got, uh, what was it, wins number 14 and 15. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that amazing? Okay, let's go ahead and move on now to, um, I guess we're still on schedule. Well, we can go ahead and move to the Xfinity Series. What we'll do, Jay, is if we end up with extra time, 
How did that happen? If we end up with extra time, what we're going to do is uh, get into our fantasy group uh, thing, okay? Okay. All right. Okay. So we're going to uh, go to the Xfinity Series. Uh, the Cookout 250 at Martinsville Speedway is this Friday. That's tomorrow night, April the 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the coverage will start at 7 p.m. on Fox Sports 1, and radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They will be racing a distance of 131.5 miles over 250 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 60, stage 2 on lap 120, and the final stage ends on lap 250. So uh, getting into the Xfinity Series here, we do have a lot of information to cover. Uh, We'll see how this goes, Jay. All right. Well, we'll start with some double duty this weekend as Collins Racing's Justin Haley will be pulling double duty, competing in both the NASCAR Cup Series and the NASCAR Xfinity Series this weekend at Martinsville Speedway. Haley made his series track debut last season at Martinsville, where he started third and finished 12th. He also has six starts at Martinsville in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, posting two top tens. So we'll see how that works out for him in college racing. Okay, on the manufacturer side, Chevrolet is leading the manufacturer's championship standings. Uh, right now, they have three wins and 221 points. Myatt Snyder, A.J. Allmendinger, and Justin Algauer got Chevrolet their first three wins. Um, now, Ford is second in the standings with two wins and 211 points. Ford has two wins. And those came from Austin Sindrick in the season opener and, again, at Phoenix Raceway. Toyota is third with one win, 214 points. Their win came from Ty Gibbs at the Daytona Road Course. So that's where we are from the manufacturing perspective. How about the rookie? All right. Yeah, we'll get into that Sunoco Rookie of the Year update here. With six races in the books for the 2021 Xfinity Series, uh, standings are still tight. Mentioned Joe Gibbs Racing's Ty Gibbs. He's leading the charge at this point. Uh, won two awards in total of 88 points. He's made two starts so far in 2021, uh, including the first Xfinity Series start of his career where he walked away with that win at the Daytona Road Course. Now, his second start was at Phoenix Raceway where he finished runner-up after starting 27, and he will be back in the number 54 Toyota this weekend. Now, we talked to, uh, our guest talked about Josh Berry. He's second in the rookie standings, now with 79 points and one award. Berry has made five starts for Junior Motorsports this season, has a best finish of seventh at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Unfortunately, Barry has been the victim of some on-track incidences, though, resulting in a 38th place finish last week in Atlanta and a 36th place finish at Phoenix the week prior. Of his five starts, three have been DNFs. Now, third in points, the rookie standings, that's Ryan Vargas. He's got 60 points and three rookie awards so far this season. Vargas has run in all six races so far this year, has a best finish of 18th in the season opener at Daytona. Two others that have declared for rookie points in 2021, Jordan Anderson and Sam Mayer, 
have yet to make a start, so they're currently fourth and fifth uh, in the standings. I know Sam Mayer is splitting a ride. Jordan Anderson has to be able to qualify, so there are some circumstances with that. Yes, indeed. Okay, now it's time to show me the money. The Dash for Cash program is back. The NASCAR Xfinity Series Dash for Cash program was designed to add elements of unpredictability and drama leading up to and in four designated races. Now, increase, they also want to increase on-track competition, engage fans, reward and recognize NASCAR Xfinity Series regular competitors, and this weekend's program makes its official start for 2021 with four drivers, including Justin Algauer, Harrison Burton, Noah Gregson, and A.J. Allmendinger all vying for that $100,000 bonus payout. Now, the NASCAR Xfinity Series Dash for Cash will take place at four tracks this year, including Martinsville Speedway this weekend. Then it's Talladega Super Speedway on April the 24th, Darlington Raceway on May 8th, and Dover International Speedway on May 15th. The March 20th race at Atlanta Motor Speedway was the initial qualifier for this year's Dash for Cash program. Now, the top four full-time finishers in the Atlanta race qualified for the first round of the Dash for Cash at Martinsville this weekend. The first of the four Dash for Cash competitors to finish at Martinsville will win the $100,000 bonus. The Dash for Cash winner and the next three highest finishing full-time NASCAR Xfinity Series drivers will then qualify for the next round of the Dash for Cash program at Talladega. That format will continue at Darlington and again at Dover. So looking at it, um, right now, the Dash, uh, the, oh, the playoff outlook. Why don't you take a look at that, Jay? I kind of skipped that. Oh. All right, not a problem. We'll pick up there. Uh, when we look at the playoffs, Austin Sindrick has got two wins already and 14 playoff points, so he is most assuredly locked in. A.J. Allmendinger, Myatt Schneider, Justin Allgaier also have one victory, which so far we have yet to see one victory not get you in. So right now they are considered locked in, uh, in on points. Uh, they are at 194. Austin Sindrick was at 277. He's leading out right no matter what. AJ is at 194. Myatt Snyder, 179. Justin Alger at 171. Now, being the victory automatically puts you in, Daniel Hemrick is currently 15 points, 231 points. is the first one without a victory, but he does have two stage wins for two playoff points. Is 97 points above what would be the cutoff line. Harrison Burton is at 212, 78 points up. Justin Haley, we talked about him doing double duty at 193, has one playoff win. He's got 59 points to the good. And we have cousin Jeb Burton. He's at 187, 53 points above the line. And here's where we get a little interesting. Jeremy Clements, 165 points, 31 points to the good. Brandon Jones, 155 with a playoff point, 21 points up. Brandon Brown, still hanging in there, 142 points is eight points to the good. Riley Herbst, 12th place, which is the cutoff line, 135 points is one point to the good. The bad news there, 13th, uh, Junior Motorsports, Michael Annette, 134 is one point back. 
Noah Gregson had a rough start to the season. He's been uh, back on track, though. 114 points is 21 points out. And then you got Landon Castle at 112 is 23 back, and that's in 15. That's our window right now around that bubble. With five different yeah. race winners locked in so far. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, with five different racers so far in the 2021, four drivers locked into the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs. There's still a lot of shakeups each week in that playoff picture. Uh, Justin Algar mentioned took the fourth playoff spot with his win in Atlanta over the weekend, joining Sindrick, Almendinger, and Snyder on that winners list. Mentioned Tyler uh, Daniel Hemrick. Sorry, uh, stayed consistent. He has the highest playoffs point without that win and has a 97-point cushion above the cut line. In terms of the biggest surprises in the playoff outlook so far, there's two drivers that stand out. Mentioned Jeremy Clements has been in the top 12 for most of the season and shown that speed all year, currently 31 points above the cut line. He finished 15th at Martinsville last season. And then the same goes for Brandon Biltz Motorsports driver Brandon Brown, having a career season so far, a career best finish at Phoenix Raceway. In total, Brown has made six starts this season, posting one top five and three top tens. He currently eight points above that playoff cutoff line. His finish at Martinsville last year was 18th. So that playoff bubble here in the Xfinity Series is going to be really interesting in these next few races. I would agree. It's going to be fun to watch. All right, let's talk about the Burton Family Fun at Martinsville. Joe Gibbs Racing's Harrison Burton is the only driver entered in the Xfinity Series race this weekend with a previous win at Martinsville. That makes him an obvious favorite. But if his cousin Jeb Burton were to win this weekend, he and his father Ward Burton would join Jeff and Harrison as the second Burton family father-son duo to win at the historic Martinsville Speedway. Now, Jeff Burton has two wins at Martinsville, one in the Cup Series in 97 and one in the Xfinity Series in 90. Harrison joined him in visiting Victory Lane at Martinsville last year in the Xfinity Series playoff race, a triumph that helped secure the 2020 NASCAR Xfinity Series uh, Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors. Now, Ward Burton has also won at Martinsville, and much like his brother Jeff in the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Martinsville, he won in 1993. Jeff Burton is having a great start to the 2021 season, driving with colleague racing. In six starts, he has collected three top fives and five top tens. He's also ranked sixth in the series driver standings. Now, last season, he made a series track debut at Martinsville driving for Junior Motorsports. He started eighth and raced his way up to fourth place. Jeff also has experience in the Camping World Truck Series at Martinsville in where he made eight starts on the Point Smile track, putting up a pole, two top fives, and three top ten finishes. I know Martinsville is uh, one of Jeb's favorite tracks, and I look for him to have a good run this weekend. Well, he certainly got the momentum going for him there this season with Colleague Racing. Now, we have had a two-week break for the NASCAR Xfinity Series, but they will be back in action at the paperclip under the lights. 
uh, at Martinsville Speedway for that cookout 250, which will be 8 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, April 9th. And going back, the 2020 season marked the first year the Xfinity Series raced at the .526-mile paved track since 2006. It was Kevin Harvick that won the race in 2006. And prior to that, the Xfinity Series had last raced at Martinsville in 19, uh, since 1994. So in total, there's been 35 races at the Virginia Short Track when Sam Ard won the inaugural one back in 1982. I mentioned Joe Gibbs Racing's Harrison Burton taking home that victory last season after starting in the 10th position in his rookie year. The race at Martinsville last season was the final playoff race to secure Championship 4. Burton won that race but was not in the playoffs after he had been eliminated in the first round. Justin Algar was the highest finishing playoff driver, having finished second, and Noah Gregson behind him in third. The race lasted a total of 2 hours, 7 minutes, 56 seconds. Average speed, 61.673 miles per hour. 10 cautions for 63 laps and 11 lead changes. And there were 1,276 green flag passes for 6.8 per green flag lap. So some things we got to look forward to there. Now, Avgar's uh, 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series, again, didn't start out the way he had hoped for. In five races, the driver of the number seven junior motorsport, Chevrolet, had only one top ten finish. Algar had been involved in various on-track incidents and started the season at Daytona International Speedway by starting second but finishing 28th. But he turned that all around at Atlanta Motor Speedway two weeks ago by winning that race, taking home his first victory of the season while punching his tickets to the playoffs. The win marked the 15th victory of Algar's career. Sharon mentioned uh, Friday night's race will be 131.5 miles, or 250 laps, stage one ending on lap 60, and stage two ending on lap 120. The uh, metrics they have laid out, Harrison Burton will start on the pole for the cookout 250, with Justin Algar joining him on the front row. So, again, not a lot of history there for these drivers, but uh, they are in the Xfinity Series for a reason, because that's where their names are made. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's gonna it's gonna be an exciting race, I think, uh, in this Xfinity series on uh, Friday night. Okay, next up we've got the Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief 500 at Martinsville Speedway on Saturday, April the 10th. Again, a night race at 7:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the uh, pre-race coverage will start at seven. PM Eastern Time on Fox Sports One, and radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 263 miles over 500 laps. The first stage ends on lap 130. Uh, the second stage will be another 130 laps, ending on lap 260, and then of course the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 500. Okay, let's uh, move on with our rookie update here in the NASCAR Cup Series. Well, the Sunoco Rookie of the Year update here is Stuart Haas's Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe having a command of the 2021 Cup Series rookie standings. 
over second place. That goes to Anthony Alfredo for Front Row Motorsports. Briscoe is 46 points of Alfredo following that seventh race of the season, which was on the Bristol Dirt Race. Both drivers will be making their series track debut, though, this weekend. With Briscoe, some experience in Martinsville, though, as he made his NASCAR National Series debut at the Paperclip last season in the Xfinity Series, where he started fifth and finished seventh. It plays out like a short track, and we've seen Briscoe good on the short track, so we'll see how those two battle it out on the track. Yes, indeed. Okay, there's also a brief history of the unique trophy at Martinsville Speedway, one that's coveted by a lot of the drivers. Uh, there's nothing else out of out there like it, and it, that's what makes it so unique. Uh, the Martinsville Speedway trophy, that is. Uh, we're talking about the seven-foot-tall trophy known as the grandfather clock or the Ridgeway clock. It was presented for the very first time in 1964 to NASCAR Hall of Famer Fred Lorenzen. Back then, and then for many years after, the trophy was manufactured just down the road from the iconic short track. Uh, the clockmakers Howard Miller then bought Ridgeway, who were the manufacturers of the clock, and started making them in their unit in Zealand, Michigan. So uh, it's kind of really cool because, like they say, uh, there's nothing else out there like it. And it's what makes uh, Martinsville so unique and a race that every driver wants to win uh, just so they can get that grandfather's clock. Well, you're right about that. Everybody wants one, and I have one, except mine, I think, is seven-inch in a replica. I got to stand I got oh. to stand next to have a picture <laughs> taken to the real one, but... <laughs> gotcha. All right. Martinsville Speedway and God's Pit Crew partner to host a food box distribution event for this week. Uh, as NASCAR returns to racing at Martinsville Speedway, God's Pit Crew and Mercy Crossing are partnering with the track to distribute farmers to families food boxes on Wednesday, April 7th from 3 to 7 p.m. Jeb Burton is a native of South Boston, Virginia, and driver of the number 10 college racing in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, uh, will be joining to support the event, benefiting families in Henry County, Virginia. There will be 2,400 farmers-to-family food boxes distributed to the residents of Martinsville and Henry County. The food boxes contain 30 pounds of fresh produce, meats, and dairy products. Recipients will receive a case of Propel-flavored water, and Henry County residents will enter from on Industrial Park Road and then turn right onto Clover Road to follow signs to the distribution sites. Little information here, God's Pit Crew is a nonprofit, faith-based crisis response team whose mission is to bring hope, healing, and restoration to hurting people in times of crisis. Since 1999, God's Pit Crew has responded to over 140 disasters in 28 states and 13 countries and also distributes millions of food and drink products in their local region through their biweekly distribution program. So far in 2021, God's Pit Crew has responded to five disasters, including winter storms that impacted Virginia and Texas, severe flooding in Kentucky, and most recently, the tornado outbreak that caused some damage here in Alabama and Georgia. So a great thing there with, I, I love that program. Yeah, that, that's really cool. 
and I love that they call it God's pit crew. Um, uh, they're doing wonderful, wonderful, and uh, I really, really admire that. Now, another good thing that's going to be happening this weekend, in advance of the Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief 500 in the Cup Series race, uh, the NASCAR and Martinsville Speedway will be honoring frontline health care workers at Silva Health Martinsville with a NASCAR Holler Parade led by NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace and Martinsville Speedway President Clay Campbell. So after Wallace and Campbell led the NASCAR Holler Parade around the Silva Healthcare Health Martinsville Campus and Martinsville Speedway's Ford Mustang Pace Car, they were joined by Blue Emu Executive Vice President of Marketing Ben Blessing and Silva Health Martinsville Interim Chief Executive Officer Tori Shepard for a ceremony to share gratitude to the frontline healthcare workers. In addition to the NASCAR Holler Parade, Blue Emu provided employees of the 220-bed facility located approximately 15 minutes away from the Speedway with samples of Blue Emu products. Silva Health Martinsville has served as the official healthcare provider for Martinsville Speedway for over three decades. So another really good thing. Uh, that's happening this weekend at Martinsville uh, to honor all the frontline healthcare workers at Silva Health. Most certainly. Uh, great things happening off the track as well as on the track. As Logano went on the Bristol dirt, adds his name to the 2021 list of playoff and all-star race drivers. King Penske's Joey Logano became the seventh different winner this season and in the process, added his name to both the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs and the NASCAR All-Star Race, which will be at Texas Motor Speedway coming up on June 13th. The historic Bristol Motor Speedway dirt victory marks the 10th consecutive season, going from 2012 to 2021, that Logano has won in the NASCAR Cup Series. Logano is now tied with his Team Penske teammate, Brad Keselowski, for the third longest active streak of years with a victory behind Kyle Busch, who's at 16 years with the victories from 2005 through 2020. Kevin Harvick is at 11 years, victories from 2010 to 2020. And then mentioned Brad Keselowski from 2011 to 2020. Now looking ahead to this weekend at Martinsville, Lugano is preparing to keep his winning spoils flowing. He's the only active driver to win at all four of the current active short tracks on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule with that victory last weekend at Bristol Dirt. He also has wins at Martinsville back in 2018, Richmond in 2014 and 17, and then Bristol back in 14 and 15. In total, Logano has made 24 series starts at Martinsville, posting five poles, one win, eight top fives, and 12 top 10s. He finished fourth in the Martinsville Spring Race and third in the playoff race last season. So that could put that streak in jeopardy of uh, different winners so far. And I know we got a couple more that are looking to spoil that. Yeah, there's a lot of drivers that would love to spoil that this weekend. Okay, let's take a look at the local angle because it takes a lot of different people from all over the country to make a NASCAR event run with the precision 
that we've all come to really appreciate and enjoy. Now, this weekend, we turn the spotlight to some team members who are from Virginia and a snapshot of their responsibilities. So let's start with David Jones from Roanoke, Virginia. He works at Starcom Racing for the number 00 car as a car chief. Also, Scott Woodfin from Colonial Heights, Virginia, with Chip Ganassi Racing, and car number one is a hauler driver. Stephen Bryce Price from Lynchburg, Virginia, again from Chip Ganassi Racing and also Richard Childress Racing, uh, and the number one is a rear tire changer. Uh, and also, okay, Okay, skip that. Uh, Stephen Price is from Chip Ganassi Racing for the number one as a rear tire changer. Now, Ethan Tingler from Radford, Virginia, is with Richard Childress Racing, the number three car, as a rear tire changer. Cliff Daniels, we know that name, uh, Smithfield, Virginia person, uh, with Hendrick Motorsports and is the crew chief for the number five. Also, Chris Haymaker, from Manetta, Virginia, also with Hendrick Motorsports, and the number nine is the front-end mechanic. Tony Bove from Burlington, Virginia, at Hendrick Motorsports, also with the number nine, is the engine tuner. Then we go to Joe White from Windsor, Virginia, from Stuart Haas Racing, and the number 14, he's the spotter. Keith Eads uh, from Arlington, Virginia, with Stuart Haas Racing's number 14, is the tire specialist. Uh, also, we have Dwayne Zirkel, writer. He's with he's from Roanoke, Virginia, and Roush Fenway Racing's number 17 hauler driver, but he's also the front tire catcher. Jonathan Salmons from Bassett, Virginia, also with with Roush Fenway Racing's number 17, is the engine tuner. Bradley Donahue. From Orange, Virginia, and Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, the number 19 tire carrier. Jeff Curtis from Fairfax Station, Virginia, is uh, with the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing lead engineer. Chris Jones from Lake Smith Mountain Lake, Virginia, uh, and the number 20 from Joe Gibbs Racing is the front end mechanic. Then Chris Sherwood from Portsmouth for Virginia, and Joe Gibbs Racing's number 20 car chief. Uh, Also, we have um, Brian Goodman from Midlothian, Virginia, uh, and he's with Richard Petty Motorsports. uh, And the number 34, he's the engine tuner, as well as the social media manager and hospitality. Then we go to Bradley Sisson uh, from King George, Virginia. Uh, He's with, this gets a little confusing, he's with Richard Petty Motorsports and the number 43 car. I guess the previous guy, Brian Goodman, is actually with Front Row Motorsports. Uh, Bradley Sisson with King George, Virginia, With Richard Petty Motorsports, number 43, is the manager in hospitality, as well as the gas man and the pit department. Then we move on to James J.P. Kelly, 
from Loray, Cal- uh, from Loray, Virginia, and track house racing is the number 99 car. He is the uh, foreman. And Lamar Neal from Virginia Beach, Virginia, from track house racing's number 99, is the tire carrier. Uh, it's a little confusing how they had that listed, but I think I got through it uh, through it all, Jay. Yeah, that chart, that chart doesn't quite line up right. Uh, the one takeaway there, we talk a lot about drivers, and I got one coming up here, but the crewmen and all the different areas that you mentioned there, uh, home race for them. So that's great to see them be able to be in front of their family and friends as well. Absolutely. Now, I love it, the spotlight on them. Yeah. When it comes to uh, the drivers, though, one Virginia native returning to one of his favorite tracks, that's Denny Hamlin. And Joe Gibbs Racing driver returns to Martinsville Speedway on one of his most successful tracks as the NASCAR Cup Series driver standing standings leader is looking for his first win of 2021. The Chesterfield, Virginia native also leads the Cup Series in victories at the historic Martinsville track with five coming in 2008-09, a 2010 sweep, and then 2015, and has all the intentions of making it six in Saturday night's Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief 500 on April 10th. And Hamlin's consistency has been the key to his early success in the NASCAR Cup Series driver standings this season. In seven starts this year, he's collected six five finishes, which is the series most, and now sits 58 points ahead of the second place, Joey Logano. Among active drivers, Hamlin is one of the most prolific short track competitors in the series. He is tied with Kurt Busch for the second most short track cup wins among the drivers entered this weekend with 10 victories each. Now, specifically at Martinsville, Hamlin has made 30 starts, posting four poles, five wins, 15 top fives, and 21 top tens. But his Martinsville Speedway accolades don't stop there. The NASCAR Cup Series pre-race loop data has him leading just about every category among the active drivers heading into Saturday night. The average finish at 9.933 is series best. Average running position of 9.622, series best. The driver rating is 105.0 as a series best. The 984 fastest laps run, series best. Now, 12,039 laps in the top 15. That equals 80.1%. That's only second most. But then with the 1,024 quality passes, that puts him back at the series most. Hamlin finished 11th in last season's playoff race at Martinsville and will start on the front row come Saturday night. Now, he's one of my hopes to continue the streak of different winners. <laughs> there you go. Okay, let's talk about the showmen, uh, the short track showmen. Uh, since the first NASCAR Cup Series season in 1949, short tracks, a track less than a mile in length, have graced the competitive schedule and been part of the fabric that makes up the sport. Now, NASCAR Hall of Famer, aptly nicknamed the King, uh, Richard Petty scored 138 of his record 200 NASCAR Cup Series victories on short tracks, the series' most short track wins of all time. He also holds the record for the most wins 
at a single NASCAR Cup Series track, posting 15 victories at this weekend's venue, Martinsville Speedway. Among the active drivers this weekend, Ken have posted wins on short tracks in the NASCAR Cup Series, led by Joe Gibbs Racing's Kyle Busch with 16 short track cup victories. King Penske's Joey Logano is the only driver to win at all four of the currently active short tracks on the Cup Series schedule with his victory last weekend at Bristol in the dirt. So uh, seven of the ten active NASCAR Cup Series short track winners entered this weekend are looking for their first victory of 2021, and all seven are former winners at Martinsville. That includes Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Kurt Busch, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, Ryan Newman, and 2020 Series champion and the most recent winner at Martinsville, Chase Elliott. So additionally, Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick is the only NASCAR Cup Series driver to win in all three National Series at Martinsville Speedway. He has wins in the Cup Series in 2011, in the Xfinity Series in 2006, and in the Truck Series in 2009, 10, and 12. The only active driver with an Xfinity Series win at the track. So five other drivers are entered this weekend, have won in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series at Martinsville. 23-11's uh, racing, uh, Bubba Wallace has two wins in 13 and 14. Joe Gibbs racing, Danny Hamlin won in the Truck Series in 2011 and 12, and Kyle Busch in 2016 and 19. Each have two wins. So Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott has one Truck Series win in 2017, and Team Penske's Joey Logano also has a win in 2015. Joe Gibbs Racing's Martin Truex Jr. is the defending winner of this event in last season at Martinsville Speedway, his fourth career short track win. In total, Truex has made 30 starts at Martinsville, posting one pole, two wins, seven top fives, 13 top tens, and he's also led 987 laps at the paperclip, uh, and just 13 shy of 1,000. So Truex won the Martinsville Spring Race last season, but finished 22nd in the playoff race there later in the year. So we'll see what he does this year. Uh, But that's some kind of interesting stats there uh, when you look at uh, uh, the total uh, tracks and short track winners. They include Martinsville, Richmond, Bristol, and, of course, Bristol on dirt uh, with the win by Joey Logano this past weekend. All right. Well, I keep talking about that streak uh, possibly being extended or ending, and that hot streak is the trend of different winners to start the season, and it could reach eight this weekend. Now, Team Penske's Joey Logano made history last weekend, winning that first race on dirt in the NASCAR Cup Series in over 50 years, and the first at Bristol Motor Speedway dirt. But in that process, Logano kept the streak of different winners to start the season alive with the 2021 season 
the fifth different year in the Cup Series modern era, which runs from 1972 up until the current year of 2021, and that's to start with seven different winners or drivers in victory lane. And that goes back to joining uh, 2014, 2003, 2000, and 1991. Now, the NASCAR Cup Series is headed to the historic Martinsville Speedway to see if that streak can make it to eight different winners. Excuse me. If the 2021 season sees eight different victors, it'll become just the third different season in Cup Series modern era from 1972 to present to start with eight different winners in the first eight races, and that had joined the years 2003 and 2000. I'll come back and uh, take a look at this so far. Oh, okay, actually, right here. Uh, so far this year, we got Michael McDowell won the Daytona 500, Christopher Bell winning the Daytona Road Course, William Byron at Homestead, Kyle Larson, Las Vegas, Martin Shrex Jr. at Phoenix, Ryan Blaney at Atlanta, and then Joey Logano on the Bristol Dirt. Now, the modern era record of different winners to start a NASCAR Cup Series season is 10, and that was set back in 2000. NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt Jr. is one that snapped that different winning streak by winning his second race of the 2000 season at Richmond in race number 11. So if we take a look at that uh, historic run, it was Dale Jarrett that won the Daytona 500, Bobby Labonte winning at Rockingham, Jeff Burton at Las Vegas, Dale Earnhardt at Atlanta, Ward Burton at Darlington, Rusty Wallace at Bristol, Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Texas, Mark Martin at Martinsville, Jeff Gordon at Talladega, and Jeremy Mayfield at Auto Club. The next longest streak of different winners to start a season in the modern era, that goes to 2003 where we had nine consecutive different winners, and it was Kurt Busch that snapped the streak of different winners when he picked up his second race of the season, 2003 season, at Auto Club in race number 10. When we look at that one, we got Michael Waltrip winning the Daytona 500, Dale Jarrett Rockingham, it was Kenseth, Matt Kenseth at Las Vegas, Bobby Labonte in Atlanta, Ricky Craven at Darlington. Everybody remembers that race. Kurt Busch then followed it up at Bristol, Ryan Newman at Texas, Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Talladega, and Jeff Gordon at Martinsville. Again, the modern era, the record for the most different NASCAR Cup Series winners in a single season and in its entirety is 19. And that was set back in 2001. The series has also seen a total of 18 different winners, which is the second most, in a single season twice. That happened in 2002 and 2011. Last year, the 2020 season produced 13 different winners. So we really, right now, we're on a good pace to break a lot of these streaks. Uh, Even if somebody does happen to win their second race already this year, Still looking at total different winners, whether or not we have 16 uh, in the playoffs or not. So a lot of things on the line already this weekend at Martinsville. Without a doubt. Okay, speaking of Martinsville, uh, it's very short and sweet, but if you think about it, this is kind of, you've heard of the West Coast swing. Well, this is a short track swing. Uh, going to three different uh, short tracks uh, in three 
uh, separate weekends, including the Bristol Dirt Track Race that took place uh, a week or so ago, Martinsville this weekend. Uh, Bristol is that half-mile short track. Then you've got Martinsville, also uh, 0.526-mile track, asphalt paved straights and concrete corners. And then next week will be at the three-quarter mile asphalt paved Richmond Raceway. So Martinsville is actually the longest continuously running track in the Cup Series schedule and the only current active track that was part of the inaugural Cup Series season in 1949. Martinsville was originally a dirt track, and the facility hosted 12 Cup Series races on the then dirt surface before paving the track in the late summer months of 1955. Between the track's two cup races of that season, and in total there have been 144 Cup Series races at Martinsville Speedway, one in the inaugural year of 1949, and two races every year since 1950. The first 500-lap event at Martinsville Speedway was in 56, with the concrete corners were added atop the asphalt in 1976. The 144 NASCAR Cup Series races at Martinsville Speedway are the second most series events run at a facility behind Daytona International Speedway's 148 races. Martinsville 144 races have produced 61 different pole winners, 54 different race winners, and nine Cup Series winners are entered this weekend, including Denny Hamlin with his five wins, Keslowski with two, Kurt Busch with two, Kyle Busch with two, Martin Truex with two, Chase Elliott with one, Joey Logano with one, Kevin Harvick with one, and Ryan Newman with one. The first Cup Series race at Martinsville Speedway was September 25th, 49, and was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Red Byron driving an Oldsmobile for car owner Raymond Parks. NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty leads the Cup Series wins at the Speedway with 15 victories in 60, 62, 63, 67 sweep, 68, 69 sweep, in 1970, 71, 72 sweep, in 73, 75, and 79. The most of any driver in the series, and he's at a single track. He's also won 15 races at North Wilkesboro. And Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin leads the Cup Series among active drivers with wins at Martinsville Speedway with five victories in 2008, 9, 10, where he swept, and in 2015. This weekend's Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief 500 on Sunday uh, is 500 laps or 263 miles broken up into the three stages that we've already covered. So this weekend's starting lineup was determined by the metric qualifying. Last week's winner, Joy Logano, will start on the pole, and Logano will be joined by series standings leader, Denny Hamlin, on the front row. So uh, a lot of good things about Martinsville Speedway there. We've got a couple minutes as we transition to our Hot Topic Sound Off Jay, so why don't you go ahead and give us a fantasy update? All right. Uh, Let's see. We'll start with the truck series. I don't know if I get paid to do this, but Sharon is leading that series. (laughs) I don't know if that's why she always wants to talk about that one, but 
Uh, Sharon's got 27 points. Andy's at 21. Sam at 18. Mike is at 16. Tommy and I are tied at 15. So that's your top group there. The Xfinity Series, top four. Owen is leading this one at 28. Andy at 20. I'm sorry, tied because Andy is also at 28. James is at 24. Mike is at 22. On the Cup Series, I lead that one with 46 points. But right there with me, Sam at 39, Sharon at 38, as well as Mike at 38, and Owen at 33. So only 13 points all the way down to fifth place there. Uh, You heard several names repeated there. Sharon, you also then lead the overall by 82 points, or at 82 points. Mike is at 76. Sam and I are at 75, and Owen at 73. And each race being worth eight points. That means there could be 16 point swing just this weekend with two races here at that historic Martinsville. Well, I'll tell you what, Jay, in the years that we've been doing this, and I'm not sure how many years it's been, I have not been in this position very often. So I'm going to enjoy my time in the sunlight here. (laughs) I I was going to say, I know the first year, I I think it was, uh, I think the first year, I think I pretty much had it locked down then Andy and I, uh, you had a couple in there, but Andy and I pretty much dominated. The last two years, as we've gotten five, six, seven, and now eight players, uh, really opened it up. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't know, is that you, Andy? Are you here tonight? No, Andy is not here. Okay, but we've got a couple of people calling in for hot topics here. So uh, I know that one of you is Tommy Kraft. Yep, I'm here. How are y'all? Okay. Welcome, Tommy. It's good to have you here. Uh, We have somebody else here. I'm not sure who it is, so let's go ahead and speak up. Hey, Sharon, it's Quentin. Sharon, hey, it's Quentin. Quentin, okay. (laughs) I wondered who that was. I thought maybe uh, uh, Andy got off a little earlier than he anticipated. I know that he's planning to be here as well. Okay, Sorry, so I Quentin, tried to shoot you a message earlier, and it just didn't work out. Well, you know what? I've had all kinds of computer problems here tonight, so if I didn't get that message, I do apologize. Um, but let's go ahead and get into our hot topics here tonight. And, uh, uh, Tommy, I think I'm going to let you start us off here tonight. Okay, let's start off with the roof over Bristol Motor Speedway. Interesting. (laughs) That is an interesting one. So, Quentin, your thoughts about the roof uh, possibility uh, at Bristol Motor Speedway? You know, and that's exactly where I was going to go with this. Um, You know, it was a bar discussion, drunk talk, call it what you will, back in 1997. And everyone thought that they could put something on the end of the exhaust systems um, to suck up the exhaust. And then, no, everyone else had a better idea where uh, along the walls they could have a ventilation system. And, well, then the fight started. (laughs) Um, I love the idea, and I know that 
um, Bruton Smith's son, I believe it is, Marcus Smith, is uh, seriously exploring it. He said that the subject came up four years ago. Oh, I'd, I'd say 24 years ago. And, um, and is there any possibility without adding a gang of expense to the teams because everything is going the way of electric cars? So. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an intriguing idea. Jay, so what are your thoughts? Well, uh, to start with, again, I mean, if you got the money, anything's possible, I guess, and, and we've seen that from especially with the uh, the Smith family. You talk about the lights at Charlotte. They, they said that couldn't be done and what it would cost, and they did it. Uh, so I would not put it past them. I know that, that discussion has kind of come up before, especially now if they're looking at possibly doing one race per year at Bristol of being dirt because it protects that from being a rain out. A uh, little bit different situation with a dirt track when you talk about rain and trying to get the track back. But as Quentin mentioned, there's a couple of factors there. And having been to St. Louis where they do the uh, dirt, car, dirt nationals annually um, for late models and, and the sprint or midgets, uh, there are some some factors that I'm not sure are being considered or are going to have to be looked at. He mentioned ventilation. That's a that's a huge one that the dome um, has to work with, and that's a, a one fifth mile track that they build inside the uh, dome at America Center. There, the way the races are handled, uh, instead of a caution flag and letting the cars run around, anytime the caution came out, they stopped the cars to prevent the fumes from uh, accumulating uh, with that. And then you have the dust and dirt factor. We saw how dusty Bristol got, and that was, I know Sharon shared the picture of the dust coming up out of the, the stadium. Uh, if you are got a dome on it, that's going to stay inside or, you know, depending on, again, on the ventilation. So um, I'm not sure. I, I don't, and I know there too, they're looking at, they've done a football game there at Bristol that and a, a stadium can be used for more things if it isn't enclosed. So, I understand that there's reason to look at it, but when it comes just to racing itself, even if it's a dirt track, I'm just not sure that's the right direction to go. Uh, However, again, they got the money, and and they'll put the the thought into it and the process of of looking at all aspects of it to make sure it's done good and uh, isn't a hindrance to the fans when it comes to to dust or uh, ventilation problems. So... Uh, it'll be interesting, and Quentin's right. I've heard that discussion come up multiple times, uh, so it'll be interesting. I will say this. When someone like Marcus Smith talks about it, it generally does happen. So it sounds to me like it's not just kind of a discussion, uh, that there has been some heavy thought put into it. Well, I agree, Jay. I think if anybody could make it happen, it would have to be that group of people uh, because when you think about it, uh, we thought it was a far-fetched idea when they talked about bringing how many tons of dirt into Bristol Motor Speedway and making it a dirt track, and yet that did happen. Um, so, And you brought up some other ideas. Uh, you know, uh, they did make Bristol Motor Speedway a football stadium as well, uh, and that uh, helps the revenue of the track. Of course, if they put a roof over it, that's going to help the revenue even more. Um, but you're right. There's so many 
things that need to be addressed. And But let's not forget, uh, there are other indoor racing tracks. You brought up the one in, in St. Louis. There's also the Tulsa, Oklahoma Expo Center that holds the Chili Bowl Midget Nationals every year. Uh, it's the largest national midget car event on the calendar with over 300 entries. And um, there's also an indoor track at uh, Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, that has indoor racing throughout the winter. So, um, of course, those uh, venues don't have 100,000-plus fans that attend those races, uh, which could add another caveat to the whole thing. But you guys are right. They have to address the air quality. They have to address the noise. They're saying that those things will be addressed. Uh, and I'll start where I began, I mean, I'll close with where I began, and that is if anybody can make it happen, it has to be Marcus Smith and his group. So uh, we'll see what happens when it's all said and done. So, uh, Tommy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. I was immediately thinking when I first saw it that, it was pointing towards the fact that they're probably going to put a roof over it because they're probably going to do more dirt races there in the future, which I know they were discussing that on the junior download, but this just more confirms it in, in my opinion or what I'm, what I'm thinking right now, um, because they already announced it for spring 22 and on the junior download, it was sounding like they were saying basically that it's going to be there for years to come and the spring date and, maybe even possibly uh, two more dirt races there, uh, two dirt races every year there. So, um, but I was also thinking about how the Chili Bowl is is uh, an indoor uh, dirt track. So it can be done for sure. And Marcus, I also want to bring up that Marcus Smith was talking about North Wilkesboro and bringing that back. So, this guy, he gets it done. He got Bristol Dirt done. He did the iRacing thing for North Wilkesboro with Dale Jr. Uh, it'll probably happen. They'll work the kinks out. Uh, I hope that, I mean, I already like Bristol the way it is. Maybe this roof over it will make it even cooler. Um, Thunder Valley's going to be extra loud now. <laughs> that's That's true. Okay, we're back to you, Quentin. Uh. All I'm going to say is, MJ, you're from Minnesota. You understand that domes collapse, right? If you heard me. Um, Probably on mute. So would a dome even be an option at Bristol? Okay, I'm not sure. But, Jay, what are your thoughts? Uh, Let me see if you got – I've got to bring him back into the queue. That's what the problem is here. Okay. Uh, Yeah, sorry, my phone shut – my phone shut down on me again there. So uh, to Quentin, yeah, you're right. There are there are issues there with uh, the Minneapolis Metrodome that collapsed uh, at one time, keeping it air pressured. The one thing Multiple I will times. say, as we yeah, I, um, the the one thing when you're comparing to the the Chili Bowl at Tulsa, as well as the one in Indiana, uh, you're talking about smaller cars. And this is something I didn't mention with the dome, not only under caution of stopping the vehicles, but they parked outside. I know there was limited parking in the dome. Other than that, the cars were outside. Again, that's where they started. They were parked out there, and they'd come in just when their heat race or or the race was coming up, so they'd bring them in. 
and we saw that at Bristol even uh, during this dirt race they just had that the cars were parked outside the track. They'd bring them up in two groups, uh, you know, the, the one race and the next, and then they'd have that break, get every, them all out, and the other ones in. When you're talking about the Cup Series and the haulers in the garage area that they normally use, um, I think it's something they're really going to have to look at, and I'm sure, again, that they got uh, top people that are looking at it, but some some bigger adjustments would have to be made in how the race is run. So uh, I don't I don't know. Too there to uh, me, I'm just uh, when you talk about racing, it's to me an outside outside type event. Uh, so I think you kind of lose something. And and I've attended the race at the Dome every year, uh, kind of as a family thing. It's one of those of is unique. Uh, so you know you do attend. I think maybe Bristol, they're, they're reaching a little bit too far. You know, I mean, go with the dirt right now. I understand, like I said, that they're looking to protect it, especially when it's a dirt race so they don't have that weather issue. But that also takes something away from it. And the other thing I wanted to mention with that track, I know the one in St. Louis. I don't know about uh, the Chili Bowl, what size track that is. You're talking a fifth mile, three-eighths mile, uh, a full half mile the size of Bristol and in the stadium. Uh, big money, but we know that they, like you said, are willing to risk it and take that chance for sure. So we'll, we'll have to see how much more smoke comes out of this with these discussions that they're having. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, we'll have to see. They do have to put a lot of thought into it. I agree with you, Jay. It's very different than these other tracks that we're talking about. Um, the weather factor, I think, is huge in this consideration uh, when you think about, you know, the fact that they had to delay two races uh, this last uh, Bristol race uh, because of rain. Uh, that eliminates that as a problem, I think. Uh, also, uh, I think it also gives a whole new uh, perspective to a flyover at a racetrack. Uh, because you're not gonna, you'll be able to see it on a screen, but yeah, you're not gonna be able to see it like you normally would. Um, but it's just a lot of things to take into consideration. Uh, but the noise and the air quality are the two biggest things uh, that they they have got to address in order to make this happen. And they've got to look at it uh, on a much much bigger scale, uh, as Jay pointed out than what currently exists. So I'm sure that these guys will do their due diligence. Um, And I do believe if anybody can make it happen, it would be this group, as I've said before. So, Tommy, what are your thoughts? Uh, I like Bristol the way it is. Um, I'm fine with them keeping it that way. But uh, the roof would be interesting, and uh, like I said, I, I hope that they – I just want to look cool or whatever, you know, make it at least – I don't know. I would rather them in the way it is, but I get what they're doing with the roof. So long as they make – long as it's safe and that it keeps Bristol the way it is, basically, or improves it, I'm for it. But – Either either or, I'm still a fan, so I'm still going to watch Bristol if it's dirt, under a roof, or if it's the way it used to be. Okay. Okay, so, Quentin, uh, let's have you bring up our next topic. I know you're not on our group where we list 
out what our hot topics are, uh, but you probably have one on the top of your head. Actually, I think he's dropped off because I think that was the one topic that he wanted to take part in. So, Jay, you bring up the next hot topic. All right. Well, we'll use what we talked about there to lead into uh, the rain, which that's going to delay dirt and the asphalt either way. But now we're talking about rain tires on. They're testing. They tested them at Martinsville and looking at the possibility of using them on some of either the shorter tracks or flatter tracks, uh, I believe, are the two preliminary targets when they talk about rain tires. The only place they use them right now is on road courses. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts about rain tires? I think they should definitely give them a shot if they can. Um, Anything to prevent the rain delays because, Moving races to Monday, I mean, I'm still going to try to find a way to watch them, but it would definitely be preferred for them to run it on Sunday. So if they can run them in the rain, uh, that would definitely benefit NASCAR. And um, also it would make the racing even more interesting a little bit too since the tracks would be slick. So, of course, I, I want the racing to be safe still and everything, and I want them to do it if they can, but this is – good news in my opinion because might not be no more rain delays for uh like bristol and martinsville well maybe not bristol but martinsville richmond and uh some of the mile and a halfers that they might could do it all and i believe i saw that they were considering or trying to figure out where they could do race there um but yeah this is this is exciting news yeah i agree i i think it's I think it's a good thing that NASCAR is looking into it. Uh, I'm going to be really following it closely to see what they're finding out as they test the rain tires uh, on the different types of tracks. Uh, I think it addresses the problem that we've been running into. We've been talking about the Daytona 500. Uh, Is that even a possibility to run rain tires on a track like the Daytona uh, Super Speedway? I don't know, but... Um, wouldn't it be great if we could go ahead and run those races in spite of the rain? Uh, we'd still be able to run those races and not have to delay them into another day. Um, so, yeah, safety is definitely at the top of the list when they're looking into this. Um, and like I said, I think the main thing is to keep an ear and an eye close to what happens with these tests as they're testing it and uh, find out what's going to happen. Uh, but if it, if it works out for some of these tracks and it saves us from uh, delaying a race, I think that's a that's a big positive for NASCAR. Jay, your thoughts? Well, I'm going to go ahead and read. I know Mike had a couple of things under here as well as Andy under our uh, thing on there. Um, when it came up, I think Andy, Andy's one that put up uh, Bob Pockris' twi- tweet on it. Uh, Mike replied with good. There's no good reason they can't. Andy said, yeah, I see it as a step forward. Mike came back with, I'm game for them to try the tires on other tracks too, and I'm tired of the assumption that it can't be done. Um, I'm only going to disagree with Mike a little bit on this. I do like it and see it as a step forward that they're willing to test it. I don't think it's a good idea at any track across the board. You mentioned the Daytona uh, 500, and (laughs) 
there's several different ways to look at it. Obviously, the delay till Monday, when you talk about the fans that are there, that, that incurs a, a, a problem extra. for them. Uh, extra cost or delay or, again, whether or not they can even stay if they got to work Monday or then, you know, flight schedules, all that. So I understand their desire there. But if when it comes down to it, if you've ever watched like the Rolex 24 of when they run in the rain or a road course in the rain, depending on the amount of rain, you can't see anyhow. So would you rather see them run the day you're there in the rain where you really can't see or... <laughs> wait a day and see it where you can see it clearly. And I'll use the example. I attended Elkhart Lake, uh, what the heck, Road America in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Uh, even as it's, the rain itself let up while the track was still wet, the spray that these cars put up, you can't see the racing. Just as with Bristol on dirt, the dust, it was the same thing. You couldn't see because of the dust. And that goes for the drivers as well as the fans. So that's one aspect of it maybe not being a good idea. But, like I said, fans that then can't stay over till Monday or wait out the delay, uh, that it could be beneficial. I think the biggest thing is safety. And I know, Sharon, you mentioned that. That is the biggest thing, which is why I don't think that Daytona, your bigger tracks, uh, especially your high-banked, high-speed. The road courses, it works. And, again, depending on your visibility and how it plays out, as the track dries up and you got the option of going from uh, the rain tires to the to regular slicks and them having strategy, softer tires versus the, the wet tires and them having to change their lines and find the wet spots if they're still on those uh, rain tires is very intriguing and can provide some great racing. That race I went to in the closing laps, and uh, his name is slipping me, Alex Tagliani was running down Michael McDowell because he was on – the slicks and the track had dried out. Michael McDowell was still on the rain tires and they were giving up on him. So it can provide some great racing, like I said, as that track dries out um, and the strategies play out. And we saw that a little bit on the Daytona road course this year. Not mm -hmm. as prevalent, but uh, it was still there some. So it does add something there. Uh, the, the part where I say I disagree with Mike is I, I realize, yeah, there's probably a way to make it where it can happen, but maybe shouldn't. Martinsville is a track where I think they picked a very good track to test it if, if the situation occurs. Uh, maybe even Phoenix, it's a bigger track, but a flatter track. Uh, so there are some tracks where I see it working outside of the road courses. Um, but, again, it would come back to the visibility because if they're running in the rain and the spray, both for, like I said, the drivers, which is the safety aspect for them, and then even the fans of, okay, they're racing that day, but you can't see anyway because of the spray of the rain. Okay. Uh, that brings us back to you, Tommy. Yeah, I didn't really consider the spray part that they put off so. But I, I feel like when I have seen them racing the rain in these road courses the past couple of years that there is a little bit of the spray, but at the same time, they're not racing in the, the weather conditions where it's too bad that, that you can't see. So, But I understand the element there that, that you guys are talking about. Um, but maybe they 
maybe they just race if it's uh, like drizzling or a light rain, and then they can prevent that from happening. So that way the drivers can still see and not uh, have the spray, the spray block in their view, and then the fans can't see either. But um, there's definitely, I think, a ways to go because I, I feel like Bob Podcraft had a tweet today maybe, and I can't remember exactly said but he said something like they weren't going to be ready for martinsville or richmond but they were considering it for um a track a month or two away i believe i really can't remember what it was but they were going to do further testing until till this track and it might would be available for the the track coming up i just can't think of the name of it i'll have to look it up um i think but I still think it's exciting news because I'm like I'm a little bit like Michael. I think it can be done. I was hearing it on the junior download where he was saying it can be done. So um I'm excited to see where it goes and like I said, I like the uh the exciting part of this since you're racing in the rain too, it's a little bit more challenging. Oh, okay. Well I'll tell you what, I I think that you bring up some really good points, but joining us now is Andy Lasky, and we get to hear from him directly on his thoughts about rain tires. How's it going, I guys? guess i got to quit speaking for him. Sorry I'm late, but glad I was able to get in just in time before 1030. Um, I understand you're talking about the rain tires uh, that they tested at Martinsville last week, which I think is uh, a step in the right direction. So um, I like the fact that we can possibly anticipate not being – restricted to dry racetracks all the time. And obviously the road courses, um, we've seen them run on some wet weather. I mean, the Xfinity race at the Roval last fall certainly doesn't get any more wet than that. Um, You know, I I think it's a step in the right direction that they're working on this and they're testing this. I think the intent is not to run in the rain, but I think be able to get on the track uh, without having the track be completely dry. And I think that that's a good thing, especially – um, you know, tracks like Loudon, New Hampshire that don't have lights, you know, it may mean the difference between getting a race in on the scheduled day versus a postponement. So, um, you know, I'm certainly interested to see if this comes to fruition or not, but I, I definitely think it's worth entertaining the idea. And, um, you know, again, I, I think I came in at the end of what I think Jay or, or a couple of you guys were saying um, hard to say how feasible it's going to be everywhere. I mean, maybe 20 years down the road, who knows what the possibilities are. But I think that the fact they're even looking at this, it's a good thing. Um, you know, and I probably won't see it widespread in too many places to start. But, you know, I think the technology is there given the fact we're in the 21st century. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think it's a good thing. And, and like I said, I think the intent is to, you know, try to help get some of these races in. Um, on their scheduled day or, you know, even in their scheduled time slot. So it certainly helps with viewership. It helps for the fans that are at the track, and I think it helps NASCAR and the teams and the fans in general. So uh, I I think I look at it as good news, and, you know, I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. Okay, I agree, Andy. I think it is good news as that they're testing it, and I, I can't wait to see where it goes, actually and what tracks they bring it to. But thinking about Daytona, the road course, I think it would work on. When you think about the Rolex 24, they've run that on the Daytona road course in the rain several times. So, But what they do is they have the lights on the cars. 
And I think that could help with some of the visibility issues uh, that you bring up if somehow they would also be able to add lights uh, to the cars uh, so that they'd be able to see. Um, so that that's just a couple additional thoughts that I thought of as we're talking here about it. Uh, and so uh, I guess we'll go to uh, Jay, who brought that up. But before we do, Jay, I'm going to go ahead and do my <laughs> spiel here. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. And, and that is that uh, for anyone who is new to our show here tonight, we do go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and you will hear us go off the air mid-sentence as we continue our conversation. Uh, what you also need to know is that we continue recording the rest of that conversation, and that's available on our podcast. So I go out on Twitter at Fan Racing site uh, just to let people know that the the, um, uh, po- the radio show has ended and the podcast is now available. So when that happens, uh, what you can do is go to the player that we have available at fanforacing.com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark so that you can hear the rest of that conversation. So just, uh, again, an alert that we do every week uh, in case there's anyone new that's listening uh, that can kind of understand what's going on when we go off the air and and how they can hear the conversation on the podcast. So with that, Jay, uh, let's hear what your thoughts are. Well, I got to apologize to Andy. I did uh, speak for him a little bit there in his comments, but he expounded on something and brought up a very good point. And I know at Daytona for the road course when they did it, um, that they said they aren't going to run if it's a heavy torrential rain like they did at Charlotte because, again, it's a different track. However, what Andy pointed out is, if nothing else, getting back on the track quicker or if it is a light Mm -hmm. shower that's just moving through when you're on the slicks and you can't, it's wet enough you can't run the slicks because you lose your grip, but it's not enough where it would be necessarily a, a post or a require track drying that then bringing them in, putting rain tires on, and allowing them to continue. So, uh, And I think these are all the things they are looking at. I, I do agree. I, I like the fact that they're looking at it, um, but I don't know that it's going to necessarily, especially when you talk about the Daytona 500, be able to prevent that race because, again, I think if you're on the, the oval itself, at those speeds, uh, I just don't know that you're ever going to get a rain tire uh, that that's going to match up and be safe for the drivers at that point. Um, the one thing, Sharon, you brought up, and I know a lot of people wanted to make that comparison, well, the sports cars do it. Wait, you're talking about two different styles of cars, okay? Those cars are built lower to the ground, and for that, uh, so that also comes into play. And you mentioned, I know, uh, for... The when they do plan on having it at the road courses, I think they did in Montreal was the first time, and then uh, Road America, I believe it is the just one brake light at the back of the car uh, in the window. I don't believe it's on the car itself, but in the back window, I think one brake light is one thing they do install along with the windshield wipers. Um, so again, there are some things that the cars would have to be made and adjusted for. Uh, you know, right now they know it's only the road courses, so they have cars that are set up for that. Uh, if it were something to be any week that needed, 
there might be some more complications or if they go having that windshield wiper and light on the car at all times just in case. But I think that I think that as we start, like I said, I think there are a couple of tracks where I do believe that you could, such as a Martinsville. Like I said, I think that's a good one to start with. Um, Phoenix again, some of your flatter tracks. Uh, so we'll see how it evolves, uh, and maybe they do get to a point where they can even for the Daytona 500. Uh, then it would be a matter of what the fans can really see when it comes to how hard it is raining. So, But I like Andy's mm-hmm. point that at least you're going to get out on the track a little bit quicker than having to wait for a full dry with the jet dryers. That's a really good point. So, Andy, I'm going to give you a chance to do a follow-up because you did not have that opportunity. And then you can also start the next topic. I don't really have any follow-up um, other than, you know, the idea definitely excites me. I think that, um, you know, kind of the points that I already made, I, I look at it only as a, as a step in the right direction. Um, I know one thing that, um, you know, Mike and I kind of chatted about in, in the teams app there was that, you know, there's, there's really no reason why it can't be done. I think given the technology we have today, you know, I mean, Goodyear certainly is capable of, of making tires that should be able to handle wet weather. And, you know, the fact that they're looking into this after all these years is, uh, is a good thing. So looking forward to, you know, to seeing how it comes to fruition and, you know, certainly, you know, I think from what I've seen, the positivity of it right off the bat is a good thing. Um, and then uh, have you guys talked about um, Bristol probably seeing a roof on it someday? Has that been talked about at all? Or, yeah. Or no? We did, we did talk about it, Andy, but let's hear what your thoughts are about that. I mean... It's kind of I don't I don't really know what to think about this one. I, I know that we have indoor stadiums and, and some include indoor racing like the Chili Bowl um, for the the dirt racing the quarter or I believe it's the quarter midgets. But um, I would have to think that some research is going to have to go into this because you're talking about you know stock cars and you're talking about a lot more people. But I, like. To, to the point of rain tires, I think we, we do live in an age where technology can accomplish some great things. And, you know, I do think it's possible um, that we see this happen. I don't know. It, it seems far-fetched to me right now, but, um, you know, I think that if it uh, if it allows us to, to have weather not be as impactful as we've seen it down the road, then I look at it as a good thing. I look at all these, these potential changes as being positives for the sport. So, um I'd be curious to see how it plays out, though. This one is, like I said, a little bit of a, a far-fetched idea. I don't know what you guys said about it, but um, certainly would be intrigued to see how they go about doing something like this. Okay. Um, I don't know. Do we want to go around and give our brief thoughts on on the Bristol race? Well, if I may, Sharon, uh, you know, Andy, you hit on some of the things. You just kind of put it all into one group. Well, we did specifically highlight uh, myself from having attended the one at the Dome in St. Louis is the ventilation issues as well as the, the uh, noise factor. Quentin brought up the fact of having been in Minneapolis, which there it was snow, heavy snow, but now you're looking at the possibility of what happens if the roof collapses or depressurizes for any reason, um, if it's a pressurized dome like, like Minneapolis had. 
so there are some factors that they definitely, like you said, have to do some research on. But uh, as you mentioned, just the, the fact that the, the possibility of it and, and, and putting in, and Sharon likes to say, doing their due diligence, um, it certainly could be a possibility. Okay. Um, did you want to add anything else, uh, Tommy? I like this the way it is now. Uh, it, I'm, I'm about like Andy. I think all the changes are pointing in the right direction, especially with all these rain delays. It feels like they have been more frequent in the years in the past couple of years. So glad to see that they're taking steps to try to prevent the weather from impacting the racing races on Sunday. So I, I like the step they're going in, but Bristol's fine the way it is. Dirt, no dirt, roof, whatever they do, I'm behind it. I'm still a fan. Okay. And, and I feel the same way. I think if anybody can make it happen, it's going to be, uh, Marcus Smith and his group. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear uh, how they come up with uh, solutions for addressing the noise and the uh, air quality. Uh, but if they can come up with some solutions to that, uh, to put it the way you did, Andy, in the 20, in year 2021, we should be able to find solutions for those kind of things. Uh, so, you know, we'll just kind of have to wait and see what it, what ends up happening there. Okay. Um, I'm going to kind of leave it at that. And then, uh, uh, Tommy, we'll come back to you for the next uh, topic. Okay. Uh, let's go with... Uh, let's go with Jeff Gordon testing positive for COVID over the off week. Okay. Uh, Andy, your thoughts about that? Because it wasn't just Jeff Gordon. It was also the crew chief for Matt DiBenedetto. Yeah, obviously uh, glad that he's healthy. From what I read, uh, Jeff had minor symptoms and will actually be allowed to call the racing at Martinsville this weekend. So just first and foremost, just glad that he's, he's, um, you know, overall doing well and uh, overall a minor uh, illness for him, thankfully. So, um, not sure where they got it from. I would have to guess possibly, uh, Bristol last weekend, but it's anyone's guess. You can get it seemingly anywhere at any time. So who knows, but, um, you know, this is something that we kind of saw last year where, uh, you know, a couple of times some drivers and crew members at various points throughout the year were pulled either because they got COVID or because they had to follow the protocols um, I think the case for Greg Irwin, the crew chief for Matt Benedetto, is he's following COVID protocol, not necessarily infected with the uh, the virus. So, um, you know, everyone's doing the right thing, obviously, and, and trying to keep other members of the teams uh, as safe as they can. So um, just kind of a reminder that, um, you know, things are still going on out there. Um, you know, the, you know, so I guess at the end of the day, just glad that, uh, Jeff didn't get very sick, and he's back uh, calling the action and uh, moving forward this weekend. Okay. Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, the only thought I got there is, is again, the, the fact that they're the, following the protocol and taking the steps necessary. Um, I know if, if Jeff does call a, of, of the seclusion, I guess if you will call it, of how to go about it. And, again, in this day and age, we got the technology and ability to do that from even remote locations. 
with the crew chief, uh, like you said, of not necessarily having contracted it, but the symptoms or whatever, or the possibility and following protocol, which again, I think NASCAR was the leader in that. So I put applaud them for that and, and taking those steps as far as uh, minimizing the the spread or the outbreak of it and, and adhering to the standard they set, which I think was a high standard, especially being the first ones out to kind of come back from it as a sport. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, Tommy? I'm just glad that he's okay and that he's still going to be able to call the race on um, Sunday. I mean, Clint Boyer's got to have somebody to make jokes about and jokes with and stuff, so... Glad that he'll still be in the booth. Glad that he's okay. Um, so I actually thought that Greg Ives, uh, uh, not the Betadetta's critique, I actually thought he tested positive too, but I didn't realize he was just in cover protocol because I was about to say it's kind of odd how Gordon can still be there, but Greg Ives can't be. But um, that wasn't the case. So, but um, and then also I was a little bit surprised too. I guess Jeff Gordon hasn't gotten the COVID shot yet because he's got COVID. So um, or maybe you can still get COVID even if you get the shot. But uh, glad that he's okay and glad that he'll still be in the booth. I'm glad it's not just going to be Boyer and Mike Joy, although that still probably would have been entertaining. <laughs> okay, Andy. Uh, no follow up on this one. Um... But yeah, like like what everyone said, you know, just glad that uh, glad things weren't worse. Okay, Jay, any follow up? Well, to to follow on what Tommy said there, I think the the difference with uh, Jeff Gordon in the booth, and I don't know if you've noticed that on the television broadcast, they kind of each have their own cubicle uh, up there where they got the plexiglass in between them. When you're talking about a crew chief, especially if he's down on. The, the crew box or whatever where you're closer closer contact with multiple people with the crew um, is part of that as far as what, why one's not and one is, uh, two different scenarios, if you will. Uh, like I said, I've seen in the booth where they have the plexiglass in between each of the uh, the broadcasters uh, when they show, show it from a certain angle, you can see that. So, I, again, I just applaud NASCAR for having the protocol, setting the standard, and adhering to it. Yeah, I think another factor in that, though, Jay, is that uh, you can be tested within, uh, you know, after 24 hours, you can go back and be retested again. Uh, Jeff Gordon said he had minor symptoms. Uh, he, I'm guessing the reason he's able to come back is because he probably tested negative in that second 24 hours later. So I'm not sure that that's the case with uh, Greg Ives or it's possible that there's not enough time for him to do that second test uh, to be able to still be involved this weekend. So uh, that's what I think it is, uh, even even though what you're saying is absolutely true, they minimize the spread of it with those partitions, uh, plexiglass partitions that they have up there in the booth. Uh, but I think it has more to do uh, with the fact that they take that second testing test negative. Uh, that gives them the uh, clearance, if you will, to be able to come back. Tommy, did you have any follow-up? Uh, no, no, ma'am. I'm just glad that Jeff's okay and that 
he'll still be calling the race. Okay, Jay, did you have any follow-up? Uh, no, I'm good. Uh, so let's uh, go, I think it's your turn, Jay, for the next topic. All right. Well, uh, it's part of what Mike had posted, the official Gen 7 reveal coming May 5th. Looks like we'll finally see what each manufacturer's skin looks like on the car. Reddit rumors say there might be a surprise reveal of a new manufacturer, but if so, it would be the best-kept secret on the history of the sport. And I wish I could (laughs) recall where I heard it. One of the uh, interviews with one of NASCAR's top executives, I can say that much, um, made a statement that really made me believe that we are very close to seeing a new manufacturer NASCAR, and that's the part of it that I, I want to talk about. Um, again, he didn't give it as a guarantee, but uh, alluded to it very, 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 very strongly that we're going to see it coming, if not next year with the start of the, the Gen 7 car, but very soon. Okay, so Andy, I guess we'll go to you next. Or No, let's go to Tommy. Uh, I'm super excited if there is a secret calls. I'm, I can only guess. I mean, they've got the Camaro, they've got the Mustang, and they're well, the Xfinity Series has the Supra, but I believe that they were not going to do the Camry. Weren't they going to do the Supra for this? But either way, thought is the Challenger or Charger from Dodge just because why not have all the sports cars? But I feel <laughs> like I remember reading an article last year or maybe earlier this year that Honda wanted to get involved. So I don't, I don't see why they wouldn't not be an option, but I feel like also reading that Honda one that they also said that they were a few years down the road. And I believe this might have been in January, if I remember, because it was right around the time of um, uh, the Rolex 24 with all those different cars. Um, I'm just interested to see if there is a secret and what it will be. Uh, that will be awesome. And then I'm also excited to see what the car looks like, too. I, I've always loved the paint schemes as a kid and still to this day like I'm so excited that William Byron's got that 24 car looking the way he does a lot of people gave it some flack I'm all for it because it's not an exact replica of Gordon's but it's different and it is definitely noticeable on the track so I'm really excited to see what these street because I know they're going to look like street cars so uh, I can't wait and I really do hope there is a secret Okay, now it's your turn, Andy. Yeah, I'm excited to see um, the manufacturer-specific cars uh, come out on, I believe it's May 5th, so really looking forward to that and and looking forward to um, what the future for NASCAR brings, and I think this car signifies um, some significant changes moving forward. And I I, I strongly believe that manufacturers, uh, new ones, that is, are probably in the works as we speak. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some non-disclosures and, you know, things people can't say. Maybe maybe things aren't as far along as I think they are, but I think the intent with this race car, um, the, new, the new Gen 7 car, was to bring in uh, new manufacturers and new, new people and new eyes on the sport, and I think it will do just that. Um, you know, obviously 
you know, hated to see Dodge leave several years ago. It'd be kind of fun to see Mopar. I know Jay would love this too. Uh, it'd be fun to see Mopar and Dodge return as well as possibly some others. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see possibly Honda, Hyundai, Mazda, who knows? I mean, the possibilities are, are pretty endless. Um, you know, and I think when you've got more manufacturers, um, you know, it just means more competition. And, and certainly the greater the competition, the better the better product I think we can have. So uh, I see this nothing, uh, see this as nothing but a good thing uh, moving forward. And certainly, um, you know, I think this car is going to really change things a lot. Truthfully, I think that, uh, you know, the, the NASCAR that we've come to expect and know the last 20, 30, 40 years is uh, in the in the direction of significant change right now. And, and change can be a really good thing. And I think that those who are making the decisions about the future of the sport are really trying hard to, to combine old with new. And, um, you know, I certainly think that, you know, this race car signifies good changes. I think, you know, this is a little bit off topic, but, you know, schedule changes. I think all this stuff, when you tie it together, means some some bright future, you know, certainly a very bright future ahead for the sport. So, um, but specifically about manufacturers, I, I strongly believe we will see one, maybe two, and who knows, maybe three new manufacturers within the next five years. That might be a bit ambitious, but there's, there's definitely got to be some things going on. I agree. I think it's uh, anytime you bring a new manufacturer in, I think it strengthens uh, the sport as a whole. And I, to me, this seems like the top candidates would be uh, some something from Dodge or from uh, uh, Hyundai or Honda, I mean. Um, so it, it is going to be interesting. I'm anxious to see what this new car looks like. Uh, and they're going to have all three manufacturers showing their version of the new car. I think that's going to be fantastic to see. Um, uh, but I, I'm just kind of curious if it's not a new manufacturer, what that surprise might be. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing it is something along those lines. If not for this year, uh, maybe the following year, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they announce it a year ahead of time uh, of when that new manufacturer might be coming in because there are so many T's to cross and I's to dot. Uh, for a manufacturer to come into this sport, um, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I, I, it's going to be exciting uh, to see these cars, and I'm excited for the season to begin uh, with the new car. And I hope it lives up to the expectations. So, Jay, your thoughts? My thoughts right now are y'all are killing me. Uh, I know normally we do this at the end of the show, but yeah, you follow me on Mopar MJ on Twitter and Mopar MJ on Instagram. But I've been down this road before. Dodge left and they came back once already and left again. And I hear I've heard that, and I try not to get too uh, wrapped up in it. Uh, I would love to see it. And as Tommy said, with the car of the Challenger makes makes sense fitting into the Cup level. However, realistically. Uh, Honda has always been the, the forefront of that conversation. Uh, so if that's the case, I do think it would be Honda or another manufacturer of that aspect that we haven't seen at all before. Um, you guys are getting me pumped up about the Dodge thing, and I'm going to end up crying. So, 
yeah. Uh, well, like I said, I the one thing I will agree with here, I, I like when you talk about the it brings the competition level. We look at when Toyota came in, how they went about it, and they came in dominant. All these other manufacturers then have to step up, and they've done so. Uh, we've seen that with Chevrolet, with Ford. The other aspect that I look at it is, and I don't, I think it was maybe Stuart Haas when they switched from Chevy to Ford, which was a pretty well kept secret at that time and blew some some people, myself included, out of the water. That you have one or two top teams that are backed by the manufacturer. If a new manufacturer comes in. Some of these teams that we keep talking about of being really close to six, uh, being a top-tier team, that's what they need. And just off the top of my head, we'll talk about Front Row Motorsports and Michael McDowell. They've showed that progression in where they're at if they were the top team for a manufacturer, uh, a new one coming in and getting that manufacturer support, I think would put them at that top level to be competing week in and week out. So I do think that is a good thing uh, from that aspect. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but like I said, uh, and, oh, that, I had one other thought here. If uh, Mike is Mr. Negativity, Andy's a little Mr. Positivity. I, I don't know if I see three <laughs> new ones within, you know, the next couple of years. I think, I think you might be stretching a little far there, Andy. Yeah, that's probably overly ambitious. I'll admit that. But it is possible to have more than one. I, I, I'm going to go somewhere in between uh, because I do think it's possible to have more than one. Okay. So um, I don't have my paper with me tonight, so are we on the second round now of this? So, Tommy, your yeah, follow-up thoughts. Go back around to Tommy. There we go. I was just going to add that um, I saw that Mike just said that this is coming from Reddit rumors. Um, you know, I, I actually look on Reddit quite a bit myself as, you know, random stuff on the Internet. So I actually find that what comes out on Reddit, it's usually, it's usually a good source for finding something that's true. So I definitely think that the secret is going to be something. And right now I'm – I'm still leaning towards Dodge and Honda. It's got to be one of those two. It just has to be because the Challenger being brought back to compete with the Ford and the Camaro makes too much sense. But then maybe Honda said what they said back in January or whenever I read it last year to say that just so that way we wouldn't be thinking about them. But then I'm thinking, you know, Toyota does not have, like the Camry does not have anything like them in the series and the Supra, so maybe it's time for them to get, uh, I mean, Honda and Toyota versus Chevy and Ford, I guess. I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> I'm super excited. I'm ready to see what, what the secret is, even if there isn't one or if, if there is one, but I'm also super excited to see what the Chevy, Ford, and Toyota look like. Okay. Andy. I don't really have any follow-up to this one, but I, I definitely think that, you know, something's brewing down the road and, um, you know, to think that it'll just be the current manufacturers, I think probably isn't true. And, you know, I, I would expect to see some additions, you know, certainly um, sooner than later. 
Okay. Uh, I don't have any follow-up either, Jay, so your final thoughts on this. Tommy, quit trying to bring me down that road. I don't want to be hurt again. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm there, and when they finally announce it, I'll be the one to celebrate the most, but I'm not going to pin my hopes on it because, like I said, uh, that one's been there year in and year out. Oh, they could come back. Well, I think it was when Carl Edwards left uh, that they were coming with the Dodge team. Uh, Michael Andretti from, from IndyCar was going to come over mm-hmm. with the Dodge team, so... I just, like I said, uh, that one, i got to wait until I see it, and I will celebrate when it does, trust me in that. But uh, I I really think Honda is going to be the first one. Uh, BMW is one that has been kind of kicked around once or twice. You hear little rumblings, but Honda has been at the forefront, and if that's not what it is now, I'm with Andy. It's coming soon. Uh, I just, uh, there's been too much uh, talked about, Again, where there's smoke, there's fire. So uh, it will come eventually, and I do think it is a very high possibility. Now, like Sharon said, you know, it might be that they announce it this year for 2022. You'll let them get one season of the new car under their belt, and they'll come in in 22, but they might announce it now, and that gives them that year plus to work out all the details and come in full bore like Toyota did. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Again, I'm not rooting against it, but I'm not putting my hopes yet on Dodge. (laughs) Okay. Uh, With that, we'll go ahead and uh, go on to our roundtable, and Tommy, we'll start off with you. I know you've got an article uh, that you're going to have coming out, and you can talk about that. Um, And I will just let you know, my time has been really um, taken up. I've got two new puppies, and uh, they are keeping me very, very busy. <laughs> hey, good luck with those puppies. I got a dog uh, two years ago, and uh, he's finally now starting not to act like a puppy anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. But um, so since I live in North Carolina, I was watching that Junior and Marcus Smith podcast on YouTube and seeing, you know, reading about it and seeing some of the clips from it. But um, I'm in North Carolina and North Wilkesboro is here, and they brought up the idea of bringing North Wilkesboro back. So I wrote a quick article about that and um, sent it to uh, Sharon. So um, I'm excited that it's going to get posted. Um, I threw it together pretty quickly, but I think I've got some good stuff in there. And uh, since we're doing the roundtable part, I actually did finally create a Twitter fan NASCAR page for myself. Um, I'm, I didn't realize with Twitter you can't change your Twitter handle, so at the current moment it's at since 95 fan, but um, it's actually NASCAR fan since 95. That's the the name of my new account. Um, so I've only got one follower at the moment, and that's Jay, so please um, – Please follow me, and um, and uh, I'll start tweeting when I get a little bit more followers because I, the first tweet I've got is going to be a suggestion for Darlington Throwback. Okay, sounds good. Uh, and uh, Jay, your follow, your follow up. Well, I appreciate the shout out there, Todd. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I appreciate the shout-out there, Tommy, but truthfully, I had to take a gamble because it didn't have your name, but I saw it was from North Carolina, and it was a new account, so I, I assumed it was you and took that chance in following you. Yeah, uh, can you say it one more time, the name, though, real quick, uh, Tommy? Well, I can't I can't change my Twitter handle Twitter handle yet. Apparently, when you create a new account, they give you one, and then after two weeks, you can change it. So at the current moment, is at since 95 fan, or you could type in NASCAR fan since 95. Okay. Okay, I've got it here. Okay, go ahead, James. <laughs> All right, now he's going to have two followers, three, and he's going to write it down, and, and you're going to have three just like that. Um, you can follow me, uh, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook. Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. We'll see if uh, eventually we get to tweet about the return of Dodge. Uh, Tommy and I will be the first two to do that, I guess. And I'm going to sing a little song, Rain, Rain, Go Away. I was supposed to be busy Friday and Saturday this weekend. Unfortunately, Magnolia Motor Speedway has already rained out and rescheduled for two weeks from now. At this point, though, Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway, is still planning to go on as scheduled, and I will be there to announce for them. And uh, working on a Michael McDowell article, as I mentioned uh, with that, of a new manufacturer. Um, But just looking at what him and Front Row Motorsports have done this year already, uh, I know it's possible. We talked about he may not make the playoffs, but uh, you can't take away winning the Daytona 500 and where that team has gone in steps this year. So look to look for that coming out this week. Hopefully I can finish that up and get it to Sharon. Okay. And Andy, we've posted your fan at the track today. I'm sorry. Yeah, my apologies say, um, again for the delay. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm just glad I was finally able to get that done. I was supposed to have written one for Daytona and it slipped my mind. So glad that I was able to get the Bristol perspective on paper, so that's been published. Happy about that, certainly. And uh, uh, Tommy, I think I owe you an apology. I think I blocked that account the other day, not knowing who it was. I thought it was a bot, so I will I will rectify that <laughs> in short order. Oh, um, no. I will make sure I will make sure that I take care of that. But um, I don't know about you guys, but I get a lot of weird followers and. I'm just sometimes I think a lot of them are bots or something. So I will I will make sure I fix that. But um happy that racing's back. Certainly I think last weekend was a much needed off weekend. You know, certainly uh you know, uh enjoyed uh spending Easter with family, but uh, I'm glad we're not only racing but we're short tracking it at Martinsville, which is my favorite racetrack of them all. So uh hopefully the weather cooperates for those that get to go and uh hopefully we'll see some good racing. Not sure i can watch any of it live unfortunately i am working this weekend but i'll try to catch what i can okay i'm looking forward to martinsville speedway this weekend uh it's going to be some really great racing um we are i am a fan for racing site on twitter and fan for racing blog and radio everywhere else including fanforracing.com uh which is our website uh, we do have, in addition to Tommy's article, uh, Mike has submitted his next uh, hot seat article on the hot seat article, uh, and I'll try to get those out over the weekend. I am going to be on the road a little bit over the weekend, as well as, uh, the, you know, kind of 
trying to get things done in between chasing down puppies, um, <laughs> I think we'll be able to to get uh, both of those articles up sometime this weekend. At least that's my my intention. Uh, but uh, a big shout out to our listeners tonight. Uh, we we did have our challenges tonight, Jay, uh, and Jay kind of helped me out quite a bit because. I called him just a few minutes before the show with all kinds of things going on that I was worried about, uh, but it all worked out. And uh, unfortunately, my computer was uh, giving me a lot of trouble here tonight. So uh, I apologize for the awkward flow of tonight's show, uh, but uh, we'll be back on track with Monday night's show and back to our usual routine. So thank you for bearing with us. And... uh, uh, it was a good night tonight on Hot Topics. A big thank you to our fan for racing crew. You guys always come through and uh, do some really great things here on Fan for Racing Radio. So I appreciate that, as well as everything you do with the articles that you submit uh, for the website as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our Fan for Racing crew members. Um, and then, of course, this Monday we'll have the recap from. Uh, Sam Bornhorst, as well as uh, the next power ranking from Owen Stewart. So uh, thank you to everybody uh, participating here with Fan for Racing. Um, And with that, I guess we're ready to say a good night for tonight and uh, looking forward to the weekend of racing. All right. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
and all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.